Headed clear by Kvaratshelia Vecino! That is absolutely wonderful! On it goes for Mancini. Mancini's effort! Who saw that coming? Hello and welcome back to another episode of Serie A Spotlight. This is Season 2, Episode 28 and we're your hosts Matt and Jake here to discuss Match Day 25 of Serie A with three massive games taking place in Napoli, Lazio, Roma, Juve and Fiorentina, Milan. A low scoring weekend but the vibes were immaculate as always. Um, we had our goals of the week. For the first time, we've, uh, for the first time ever we've had two. Yeah. Goals of the week. It yeah. was Vecino and Mancini. Vecino's goal was probably a bit better, but Mancini, when you take into consideration the stage, the fact that he hadn't scored a goal in how long? Two Bro- years it was. Two years. Oof. Yeah, and I mean, you see the Roman Empire rising back like that. And I mean, it's just time to put a little Serie spotlight on them. Vecino <laughs> getting the victory, getting the winning goal rather against league leaders Napoli. Twice Mancini getting the winning goal against Juventus, a club that they have struggled to beat so much. And you just see what it means to the Roman teams over there. Yes, um, Vecino has proved to be the unlikeliest big game player (laughs) that I can think of. Um, He scored for Inter in the Champions League against Dortmund. He scored in the Milan Derby. He scored important goals against Napoli. He scored in the Europa League for Lazio this season as well. Mm. He's a big game player, man. A weird one. Yeah, really weird one. And Mancini, to be honest as well, had one hell of a performance over here, obviously getting the winning goal. Um, aside from that, he also got Moise Keane yeah. sent off after just 40 seconds. So absolute shithousery. Um, <laughs> he really was the man of the match in that game. So two big game players, two big victories, two goals of the week. Fuck yes, it and sir. fuck you. <laughs> there we go. Um, <laughs> fortunately, this week was a low scoring week as we put a bet that three games would have under four goals scored. Yeah. And those three games were Sampdoria, Salernitana, Atalanta, Udinese, Spezia, Verona. Now, I believe all these games ended nil nil. They did, man. They so, did. We knew it. Yeah. Um, we've been so cautious with our bets lately, bro. We just refuse to bet on an outright. But look, man, we learn. I mean, we tested the waters. Well, we we dove into the waters that that hadn't yeah. quite been tested yet. And now we know I'm not going to bet on an outright until I'm absolutely convinced of the outright. I don't yeah. want to check the odds before I make a decision. Yeah. Because checking the odds before you make a decision fucks you up. Like Fiorentina on shit form, they're against Empoli though, they're at home, sure they have a bit of injuries, but 2.1, oh my god, I can't see Fiorentina dropping points here. The odds are there to tempt you. Exactly. So we're learning. We are. And um, this goal system seems to be going pretty well. We're on three victories in a row. If you want to keep track of our betting journey, please follow us on Serie Spotlight um, on Instagram. You can also find us on Twitter and TikTok to see some of the other content that we post um, yeah. on a, or try to post on a regular. <laughs> exactly. And don't forget to rate us five stars wherever you're listening, be it Spotify, Apple Play, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts, on YouTube as well now so wherever you're listening kindly do give us a rating you can be honest but you know be a bit kind there we go bro give them the rundown 
Don't mind if I diddly do, brother. The first game is Napoli nil Lazio. One massive upset there for Napoli. Only their second loss of the season. And Lazio once again proving to be a top team among that top seven. The next game would be Roma 1, Juve nil. A very rare victory for Roma against Juve there historically. Fiorentina 2, Milan 1. Just like last season, Fiorentina managed to get past Milan at home. Ending Milan's winning streak. Inter 2, Lecce 0. Not exactly a stellar performance by Inter, but definitely good enough to get them the victory over the newly promoted side. Atalanta 0, Udinese 0. A stalemate, however, there were quite a few chances over there. Torino 1, Bologna 0. A battle for Europe between these two unlikely candidates and a massive win for Juric's men especially after the loss in the Derby della Mole and Bologna's victory against Inter. Then there's Monza 2, Empoli 1. Great win over there by Monza. Empoli still failing to win since the end of January. Sassuolo 3, Cremonese 2. And what was the highest scoring affair this match day? Cremonese almost doing it again. Sampdoria 0, Salernitana 0 in the relegation. Dogfight. Speaking of dogfights, Spezia 0. Verona, nil. Not quite the dog fights we expected there, huh? Biscotto, bro. Biscotto. Biscotto. They shared the spoils over there. Um, to be honest, though, they were quite exciting. As you look at the Spezia game, for example, Spezia had the most um, attempts this match day, so it wasn't... Um it wasn't boring, at least, you know. Yeah, no, they weren't. They weren't boring. I was just hoping to see, you know, some massive moves. But yeah, to be honest, everything yeah, yeah. just stayed the way it was, and I'm like uh, a little bit, a little bit blue balled. These that. are these are the games where you see a uh, Kevin Agudelo goal. You know, these yeah. are, th that's what we want to see in these games. A uh, mm. Birindelli goal. You know, what exactly. I mean? something like that. But, exactly. But anyway, alas, shall alas. we get cracking? Go for it, brother. So the first game we're going to be covering is Napoli nil Lazio 1. Lazio pulled off the impossible in a packed Stadio Diego Armando Maradona Stadium. There were 54,000 fans in attendance over there. Maurizio Sarri described going up against this Napoli team as suicide. Okay. Um, he loves alluding to these dark themes, doesn't he, Sarri? Yeah, he, he's so over the top sometimes, yeah. man. Dramatic, like he relaxed. Really, it's yeah. a game of football, brother. <laughs> <laughs> no need to mention death, my friend. <laughs> So for Napoli, it was their 4-3-3 formation. This was a 4-3-3 against a 4-3-3. We knew that we were going to watch some, some good football over yeah. here. Uh, Meret was in goal for Napoli. On the left, there was Oliveira. On the right, there was Di Lorenzo with Min Kim and Rahmani as the centre-back duo. The midfield three was Zielinski, Lobotka and Angusa with Gvaratskeli on the left wing, Lozano on the right wing and the formidable Victor Ozimen up front. For Lazio, it was Ivan Provadel in goal. Marusic on the right, Hisai on the left with Romani and Patrick as the centre-back duo of course Chasale would not make it this game um, Milinkovic, Savic, Vecino and Luis Alberto were in the middle with Felipe Anderson on the right Zaccani on the left and Ciro Immobile up front so yes it was a fucking crazy head-to-head -head going into this you know yeah. um, lots you have actually changed their ways this season they seem to be beating the the top sides uh, more frequently and this seemed to be the case today as well um, if you look at this team historically um, Lazio had lost five of their previous away matches to Napoli wow. so the trend was expected to continue of course but it did not um, 
It all started in the fifth minute. It started pretty early on the action um, mm. when Vecino flicked a header on after a Luis Alberto cross and it was headed off the line by Di Lorenzo. So that was Lazio stamping their foot um, quite early in this game. The rest of the first half was quite cagey. There were long range efforts from both teams, but no one really got close to doing anything. Um, both sides being quite cautious over there. Um, in the 67th minute, Gvaratskelia headed it as far as Vecino on a clearance and Vecino just smashed it first time. Goal of the week, beat Meret at the left over there. Amazing goal. Fantastic goal, man. Fantastic goal. In the 78th minute, this was um, Lazio's, sorry, Napoli's best chance to equalize. Um, Aussie men headed a Gvaratskelia cross into the crossbar. Providel saved Kim's rebound and the Mobile cleared Di Lorenzo's header off the line. That was three massive chances in a row, yeah. like back, back, back is squandered one after the other. Mm. <laughs> and I think at that point, Napoli knew that this was not their day. Not at all. Um, in the 90th minute, when you'd think that Napoli would be pressing for an equalizer, it was actually Sergei Milinkovic Savage who hit the crossbar from a free kick. He scraped it, to be honest. Yeah. He didn't smack it, you know, but it was still a very good attempt. Over outside, there. outside of the post. Yeah, and that was the game. Three points for Lazio. Your brother, what did you make of this game? The big game of the weekend. I mean, obviously quite a surprise that Lazio managed to get away with all three points over here. Not to discredit Lazio, because they have seemed to be a very, they have proven rather to be a very dangerous side among the top seven, which is an area that they had struggled in the season. But they really carried out their game plan to their full potential. They kept that low line, they kept that low block. Um, and for that reason, Gvara failed to kind of assert himself too much. Ossiman wasn't finding the spaces too much, which is something that he normally excels in. And Lazio pretty much managed to tame Napoli in that region. And then obviously a moment of brilliance for Lazio and Vecino, where he managed to get that goal over there. Napoli could have brought one back, but there was all that scrambling on the line <laughs> and inside the box. Luck did favor Lazio a little bit in that area, but I think if there is a team that deserves to get three points against Napoli this season, it will be this Lazio side in this performance. Yes. A more pragmatic approach lately by um, Sarri. Usually we know him as like attack, 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 no? Absolutely. Um, now, if you look at the statistics coming into this game, Lazio and Napoli had conceded the fewest goals in the first half of Serie A this season. Yeah. Um, Lazio have conceded the fewest in the big five European leagues in this period, in the first My half. God. So you look at them, they, they shut up shop quite well. And I'd like to praise Sarri for his tactical um, swap over here, bringing in Vecino, of course, um, an easy statement to make considering the fact that he scored that beautiful goal. But in reality, he brought him in instead of Cataldi in that register position in front of the defense. And Vecino does a lot of running. And in fact, if you look at the statistics this match day, you will notice that Vecino was amongst the players who covered the most distance, mm. um, along with Sergei Milinkovic Savic. So they worked tirelessly over there. Yeah. And Lazio as a whole were the team who covered the most distance this entire match day. Um, Napoli were 16th out of 20. So hell. they just couldn't keep up with Lazio over there. Yeah, they, they really managed to overwork um, Napoli over there. And it's good that you mentioned Vecino coming into the team because for a big game and for a high pressure game, he is the perfect candidate in that midfield out of the selection that they have. And then 
with the work ethic that uh, Sergey brought, that Vecino brought, I felt like Alberto brought that calmness. Mm. He was capable to slow the game down when Lazio wanted to slow the game down. Because one thing you can't have is two teams pressuring high against Napoli, two teams playing with high pressure, and Napoli catching you on the break. So when Lazio had the ball and Alberto had the ball, he was slowing the game down and he was letting Napoli get back into position. No problem. We're going to hold on to the ball over here. And that midfield worked really, really well in that game for that favor. And also off the ball, they were phenomenal. Definitely. Um, so Sarri has kind of reasserted himself onto the scene you now as a as a top manager out there, particularly with his performances against the big teams in Italy, as as we are reiterating. Um, the fact that he can turn Felipe Anderson into the player that he's turned him into, you know, the fact that he takes this Lazio side that lacks investment and yeah. actually makes them so competitive. Um, do you think that this is a long-term project or do you see Sarri moving on to something a little bit bigger? No, I, I don't think Sarri will move on to something a little bit bigger. I think Sarri had his moment in the bigger Scene. And that's when he was at Chelsea, that's when he was at Juventus, hey, that's when he had the opportunity to win the Scudetto for Napoli. So mm. I think he th- this is a long-term project for Lazio. And I think Sarri will gladly be around so long as Lazio want him around. I think especially when you see he was sacked from his last two jobs. I think the guy just wants to call a place home right now, have a good project, have a good team and see out perhaps what would be the rest of his career at, at the team. Yes, I, I would agree with you, um, but it's subject to the club's investment. And Lotito isn't known to invest much um, in his team, you know. So I wouldn't be surprised if he grows frustrated with that, if results stop coming in, if they miss out on top four, for example, and then mm-hmm. he get, I don't know, man, um, a Premier League team calling, uh, you know, an interesting project elsewhere. Someone comes knocking. I wouldn't mm-hmm. be surprised if he, if he were to go. Lotito has to back his man right now. Yeah, and Lotito isn't exactly an easy man to to get on with no. in that area, and, and neither is Sarri. Yeah. Neither is fucking Sarri. They're, they're two men who want to have it their way, and Luis Alberto's another one. Um, but yeah, I think in an ideal world, I think the plans are to have a to have a long term contract yeah. over there. Obviously, there's going to be more attractive things out there. There is for most of the players in Serie A really where we're talking about wages but I think he's at that stage in his career where he wants to settle a little bit particularly after his last two spells as I mentioned and yeah I think they could have a very good mutualistic relationship if they do that yeah um, this was Napoli's second loss of the season the first one of course coming to Inter um, De Laurentiis has commented and he said that this loss reminds us to stay focused so he's taking the loss as a positive you know so his team doesn't get complacent mm. to keep fighting in the league to remind the players of what it feels like to lose you know it's, yeah. it's, it's useful before the Champions League you know to experience a loss I think absolutely and, and I don't necessarily think this is such a bad thing for Napoli I think when they're ahead by that much now of course if losses accumulate then they're in danger well anyone's in danger if losses accumulate but I think this one loss against Lazio is another loss on their resume and just another learning curve for them I think they'll learn from this they'll adapt to this and I think they can really start to kind of see the way that teams have beat them this year the, the formula that is beating Napoli and hey they can only get better after that I doubt that they don't really have the kind of squad that's going to drop their heads 
after losing this game. Yeah. So, of course, this loss can be blamed on the absence of club legend Mario Rui, no? Yeah, of course. <laughs> there was a bit of a thing where, where Mario Rui's agent said, basically, Spalletti said something about Oliveira's physicality, mm. how it's an advantage over Mario Rui. Um, and Mario Rui's agent said that this was one of the cazzati of Spalletti. Uh -huh, like, uh -huh, I ups. saw that. So, yeah, quite an interesting little comment over there, classic Italy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, bro, um, once again, I like to applaud um, Lazio's defensive approach over here. They really, really played to their advantages and they really yeah. gave themselves the platform to beat Napoli. Granted, it was through that moment of individual brilliance. Do you remember the days when Sarri used to say that Milinkovic, Savic and Luis Alberto can't play together? Yep, he was fucking and we always said he was wrong, huh, brother? Yeah. And I think he realized that he was wrong. Yeah, I mean, was it was wrong. obvious that he was wrong because they did it for way before. Yeah, with, they, with Inzaghi, they, did, you know? they did it under Simone and they had yeah. a fantastic spell under him. They didn't win shit, but <laughs> they were good. Yeah, I think they won the Coppa, no? Yeah, they, Coppa, they did win yeah. the Coppa. They did win the Coppa, yes. Um, before this loss, of course, Napoli became the third side to have reached 65 plus points after 24 Serie A games. Um, this is after Inter in 2006-2007 and Juventus in 2018-2019. So I think that can conclude this game. Do you have anything you'd like to add? Absolutely. Victor Ossiman, brother. What's this? What's this? He's fucking saying oh, yes. Napoli. Um, well, not Napoli. He's saying, I'm really enjoying working towards my dream, which is playing in the Premier League. I love playing in Serie A. It's one of the top five leagues. But this guy in Naples, where he's having so much success and he has an entire city who are obsessed with football behind him, had the audacity to go out there and say, essentially, Napoli are a stepping stone in my career. That will not sit well with the Napoli fans. It really, really won't. I mean, does this celebrate them if, if um, absolutely they win the league, right? And which they probably will at this point. Um, but but yes, risk. What's he doing? I have bro. Shut your mouth. Win the league, celebrate, be loved, and then leave silently. Why are you saying talk these about how much you love the club, how much you yeah. love the people, how you'll always be Napolitan at heart? You know what it must be. He must be tired of these like Aussie men kinder eggs <laughs> that, that they've been making. Aussie men! <laughs> they are <laughs> brilliant. Yeah, these dessert, Aussie men themed desserts, by the way. We need to go up to Naples and get one, bro. We do, we do. But can we please not do blackface? <laughs> I'm so against that. Yeah. The amount of blackface we've been seeing. Carnival, eh? You see all these kids running around <laughs> sprayed black like their older cousin would have sprayed them black for, for Aussie men cosplay. That's, that's hilarious. So wrong, man. But yeah, um, turns out Ozzy men's a premhead, which is which is hilarious. And apparently PSUG have met with his agent as well. Um, mm. Let's see if he is. He's United uh, bound. He is United bound. I could like picture him in a United kit already. Yeah. Napoli are, and I'm not only sorry, before actually we get into that, Gvartskeli as well was flirting with Real Madrid, saying that it's his dream to play for Real Madrid and he used to um, look up to, agent. he used to admire um, Guti when he was younger, Guti mm. was his idol, um, and he had, he couldn't acquire a Guti kit from anywhere, mm. they were unavailable in Georgia, so he bought a white top, or he had a white top, and he just wrote the number 14 on the back for Guti. Um, Guti recently was on uh, Spanish TV, and he said that he welcomes um, uh, Gvaratskelia with open arms to Real Madrid, and that he'll give him a signed kit if he joins. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's, but this is sad to see that Napoli are 
doing so well and their players already flirting with other clubs. Absolutely. And and even, I mean, Milan last year still lost Frank Kessie on a, on a free after winning the league, yeah. for example. So I think that goes to show financially and, I mean, fuck it, even the viewership. It's so much bigger in the, in the Premier League. It seems like that is the pinnacle of football at the mm. moment, which sucks because there's a way more beautiful league and we're talking about it right now but that that is the direction players want to go in when the, when they have the rights to watch those teams growing up and they can go there and make so much money and all the clubs want them then they need to pursue their dream and then yes. they need to follow that why show their loyalty to one club if they don't fucking want yeah. to Look, um, at the end of the day, these guys, these guys can go wherever they want. They will never witness the joy and the respect that winning a league in Italy gives you, man. Like, like those celebrations in Milan last year, I don't think Kessie will ever have anything like that in his career ever again. Probably you know? not, man. Because the, the sheer fucking passion that those fans have, especially like Ozzy, man, you know, he's not going to meet another fan base like Napoli. He can go to United, he can go to PSG, but he'll never have that again. Yeah, no, absolutely not. And maybe after winning the Scudetto and seeing the um, reception that he gets will yeah. change his mind. It could be, it could be. It could be. We'll like, see. I don't think Tomori, for example, will ever leave Milan yeah. after. <laughs> At this point, eh? he <laughs> seems so starstruck that. when he hey. speaks about them. Raw. But um, of course, if things keep going the way they're going, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe Milan will kick him out. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> of no. course, I'm being um, a drama queen. We love you, fake. We love no. you. Go get him, fake. Napoli are in first with 65 points, while Roma are in fourth with 47 points. The next game we're going to be covering is Roma 1, Juve 0. The previous encounter was a 1-1 draw between the two sides. Jose Mourinho was actually on the bench after winning his appeal against a two-match suspension for insulting the fourth official during the defeat to Cremonese. Smalling returned from suspension and Pellegrini was able to start despite flu symptoms, but Tammy Abraham was benched again, this time for Gini Wijnaldum in a more advanced role, supporting false nine Paolo Dybala. Juve were looking for a fifth consecutive victory in Serie A, with Manuel Locatelli recovering from a suspension, so only Decilio, Milik and Caio George were missing. Roma lined up in their 3-4-2-1 formation with Rui Patricio on goal and the backline of Ibanez, Smalling and Mancini. They had Spina out on the left and Zalewski out on the right with Matic and Cristante in the double pivot. They had Wijnaldum advanced as a left attacking midfielder, Pellegrini as a right attacking midfielder and Dybala up top in a false nine. Juve started in their 3-5-1-1 formation with Szczesny in goal and the backline of Danilo, Bremer and Sandro. That Quadrado out on the right, Kostic out on the left and Rabiot, Locatelli and Fagioli forming the midfield three with Di Maria playing behind Dusan Vlahovic. So the game started off pretty much as we expected it to. Both sides were looking to hang on to the ball. Both sides were looking to keep possession. Then in the 43rd minute, Patricio denied Rabiot's header, blocking the strike with his foot onto the post after a great cross by Danilo. After the halftime break in the 53rd minute, Mancini unleashed an unexpected bullet from outside the area and into the inner side netting with a fantastic, fantastic goal by the big Italian centre-back. The distance is equivalent to just outside the semicircle, pretty much, but at a bit of an angle. What a goal, and it was his first in two years. 
Five minutes later, in the 58th minute, Cuadrado tried to catch Patricio off guard by going for a goal from a free kick which was set up for a cross, but hit the outside of the post as a result. That's post number two. In the 78th minute, Patricio produced a brilliant one-handed save to deny a Di Maria strike from distance, and then the 81st, it was the third post for Juve, as a dangerous score into the first post by Paredes almost led to an own goal by Mancini, but his header hit the post. In the 89th minute, Moise Keane came off and got sent off after just 40 seconds after kicking Mancini off the ball and left the field with no complaints. Allegri's reaction was fucking hilarious. Yeah. He was doing like the mafafanculo. Yeah. With, with his fingers. I mean, young Italian guy coming on, you know, against Roma for Juve, losing 1-0. Try get an equalizer or something. Don't be kicking motherfuckers <laughs> off the ball. Like, you know what I yeah. mean? It doesn't uh, matter what he says, like. He's been banned for two games and he's been fined 10,000 euros and Juventus have made his deal permanent. <laughs> <laughs> All in that order, by the way. <laughs> yep, pretty much. I mean, you know, they, they were probably, it had probably been decided from before yeah. that they were going he to get a clause apparently. Some sporting um, conditions were met. I didn't know that um, getting a red card in 40 seconds where it was included in these sporting conditions. Hey, but anyway. Hey, fuck it. Fuck it. You've operated in quite a unique <laughs> way, as even Juventini would know. But they hit the post on three separate occasions. Do you think they deserved more out of this match at all? I mean, probably, yes. I mean, you look at the statistics for sure. And even you look at the way that um, you've played, they probably deserve to get a goal um, in this game. Uh, this was one of the first times this season I've seen Rui Patricio play well. He had a very good He had a really good game. He had a really, really solid game. game. He had at least three very good saves. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you've had five shots on target, so it was no easy feat for him. No. Um, however, I, I did think that Roma were very smart. They frustrated Juve. Um, they played without a target man, which is, to be honest, just straight up playing for those set pieces. Yeah. You know, you play players who can run for you, can press off the ball. Um, and then you look at Ibanez, Smalling, Mancini, you rely on those guys, Cristante, Matic, you throw them in on the set pieces, you put the ball on it, you put Pellegrini on it, whatever. Wijnaldum's just covering ground, box to box, and you're good to go, man. Yeah, and yeah, that, that's pretty much how Roma were set up. I think this game was a race to who got the one nil first. <laughs> yes, yes. Both yes. both sides are are those kind of teams. They get the one nil and they defend it. And I do think that Juve deserved to get at least a draw, right, mm -hmm. out of this game, just to put that on record. Um, however, Roma did take a more defensive approach after they opened the scoring in the fifty third minute. So that was a massive chunk of the second half where they were just piling bodies back and Juve were piling bodies forward of course Juve are gonna have strikes of course yeah. Juve are gonna have shots on goal of course they're gonna attack they were given the opportunity to but Roma did a good job and they were lucky that Rui Patricio was in good form they were lucky that Juventus couldn't put the ball to the back of the net and they hit the post on three different occasions but it was a conscious choice by Roma to defend that one the lead in the 53rd and Juve would have done the exact same thing. Exactly, that's it. Whoever scores first wins 1-0, as you said. It's yeah. so true. Yeah. Sunday's 1-0 win over Juve for Roma, coupled with their 1-1 draw in the reverse fixture, means that Roma is undefeated against Juventus in the Serie A season for the first time since 2003-2004. Wow. <laughs> They have really had a tough time against Juve and, you know, 
Roma hate. Yeah. <laughs> it, took a, it took a top coach. It did That's take a it. top coach. You look at, um, granted, Sp- they've had Spalletti, they've had... Um, oh, but Mourinho's Seca, Mourinho. These, Mourinho's these guys Mourinho, exactly. won't go down as one of the as some of the greatest managers of all yeah. time. Mourinho will go down as one of the yeah, greatest yeah, yeah, managers yeah. of all time. Yeah, fair point, fair point. So you're absolutely right over there. Yeah. Um, His reaction, by the way. Who's? Mourinho's reaction to the ah, the, to goal. the goal oh yeah he didn't even flinch he didn't even flinch and it's funny it was him and I believe his assistant manager that he yeah. just takes with him everywhere <laughs> pretty much he's good to speak Portuguese to players that speak Portuguese like Eric Dyer apparently, yeah, apparently <laughs> like yeah. that was hilarious chilling speaking Portuguese no subtitles <laughs> on me and Jake are screaming um, <laughs> but they were basically looking at a sheet like going through some tactics Tammy Abraham was coming on and the second goal went in Abraham went off running and Mourinho and the assistant managers did not flinch they just kept talking yeah. kept looking at people some people tried to shake them like to wake them up but no, it was it was it was a job well done by these guys, and they were laser focused throughout. Tammy was about to come on in the fifty third. Yeah. He then came on because the goal was scored in the seventy third minutes or twenty minutes later. That was interesting to see. Yeah. Basically warmed up, getting ready, getting a few tactical notes from Mourinho, and then you go and sit down again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> For twenty more minutes. <laughs> exactly. I think the biggest thing Mourinho had to worry about, and this is something that Juve should have used more, the left. Hand side, Kostic versus Zalewski only went one way. Yeah. Kostic was turning him inside and out. He was getting schooled by the Serbian for most of the match. And then that kind of changed after they brought on Rick Karsdorp, who did a much better job than Zalewski. But Zalewski yeah. really got exposed. Kostic is a great player and Kostic exposes a most, lot of yeah, players. Most players. But wow, Kostic was making quick work of him every single time, man. He really was. And it's a, it's a real shame that he couldn't serve as Vlaovic. Vlaovic could not get involved in this game. Um, I saw a stat that was posted um, today. So in 21 games for Fiorentina, Vlaovic had 17 goals. In 31 mm. games for Juventus, he has 15. Wow. Yeah, um, I guess it makes sense when you look at the fact that he's playing for an Allegri team. You are going to score less goals, but it just sucks because he doesn't look like the type of striker he was at Fiorentina. You know, he was he was so serviceable before. Yeah. And you could give him the ball outside the box and he'd, he'd turn, you know, and, and, and make a forward run and, and everything yeah. was set up for him to succeed. Nowadays, it seems like he's getting the ball a lot with his back towards goal and he doesn't really excel. No, I, I mean, and, and we spoke about this in the last episode as well. It's frustrating to see, firstly, he's very, he adapts very well and he's carrying out that task to the best of his abilities. He's doing a decent job over there. Um, what he had at Fiorentina was the ability to come back and insert himself a bit more in the midfield area in order to make runs and get in behind the defense. Mm-hmm. He used to drag the defense up with him and then they used to find him with those long balls and he used to utilize his pace and he used to finish cleanly. Over here, he is that target man. He is that Giroud, so to say, that yeah. Lukaku, that stays with his back towards goal, on the box, on the, on the line of the box or inside the box. He's just waiting to receive the ball yeah. to either lay it back or 
better yet turn around and, and have a snap at goal but he's really not being utilized as the it's a shame when you have a goal scorer like that you don't utilize him to yeah. solely score goals yeah, you know what I mean true. look how City use Haaland for example sometimes that's just the way you need to utilize these players man yeah um, last week we did address the criticism and we called it harsh on Vlaovic um the, the criticism because of the numbers people are saying he's not scoring as much in reality he's still scoring and his goal scoring statistics aren't bad it's the fact that when he doesn't score he hardly touches the ball yeah. you look at his touches this game how many, how many but how's that his average? fault man when, when it's he not it's to... not no he's set up to to be like this yeah. in this system you know it's, just, it's a shame um, if you look at the possession percentage, Vlaovic had 1.3% of the ball possession wow, this game. Man. Wow, Yes, so exactly. It also has something to do with having Smalling man marking you. Smalling <laughs> was excellent in this game. Yeah. And if it wasn't Smalling, it was Ibanez. And if it wasn't Smalling or Ibanez, it was Mancini. So, exactly. you know... Playing with what if they had Milik, he would have started this game. Oh, um, with a two up top, a two up top, yeah, have that probably muscle actually. up against the muscle. It, yeah. it, it would have been a more ideal setup, I think, for Juve, but alas, yeah, three alas. five two, maybe you think, three, yeah, five, prob- two. probably a three five two, uh huh, probably a three five two. Di Maria, where would Di Maria pop in? They could play with a bit more of an attacking midfielder in a three five two, I guess, yeah, maybe. Oh, that would have been interesting actually I wish Milik was fit I enjoy watching Milik play Yeah so do I So do I He's a fucking bomber man yeah. I think we can both agree That Mancini was man of the match He scored a fantastic yeah. winner Got Moiskin sent off And he defended excellently Throughout the game So Round of applause for Mancini Like you said Patricio finally had a great game And Moiskin was handed a two match ban A 10k fine Along with a new contract <laughs> What a reaction for Roma after the Cremonese loss, whereas Juve after the victory in the Derby della Mole, they would have hoped to do better over here. However, massive step for Roma in the right direction as they're now in fourth, level on points with fifth place Milan under 47 points, and Juve are in seventh on 35 points, level on points with Bologna in eighth. Yeah, um, people would have... <laughs> Would have been it would have been expected for Roma to get three points against Cremonese and Juve, right? People would have been yeah. like, oh, okay, I'll take that. Um, but no one would have expected it to be like this. Right? Not at all. Yeah, you lose Not to Cremonese, you beat Juve. Okay, cancel exactly. the other one out. Mm. So the next game we're going to be covering is Fiorentina to Milan 1. The reverse fixture was a 1-0 victory for Milan. Fiorentina had only won one of their three previous 16, say, home games against Milan. Um, so this was a tie that Milan historically tend to win yeah Fiorentina and Milan are two of the four teams to have attempted the most shots in the current campaign Fiorentina with 387 Milan with 351 Um, Fiorentina are also the team that have conceded the fewest shots with 229 however they have the worst ratio between shots conceded and goals conceded on average one goal every 7.6 shots now this is interesting because it goes to show 
Italiano is setting this team up well, then they're, just, they're kind of unlucky out of yeah. the statistic over here. <laughs> but that's a similar statistic to the one Milan had a, a couple of months ago when, when Tatarusanu yeah, was a goal. Yeah. It's just like they conceded from every single goal, exactly. from every single shot they conceded. It's like you lost 3 0, ah, but you only conceded three shots. What's going on? <laughs> no, Fiorentina lined up with a 4 3 3 formation with Terracciano and Gol Biraghi as the left back, Dodo as the right back, Igor and Martinez Quarta as the centre-back duo. Mandragora, Amrabat and Bonaventura formed the midfield three with Nico Gonzalez on the left wing, Jonathan Iquana on the right wing and Arthur Cabral as the menace up front. For Milan, it was their 3-4-2-1 formation with Manian in goal, Tomori, Chao and Kalulu as the black three. <laughs> Messias was on the right, Hernandez was on the left, Tonali and Benasser were in the middle, Rebic and Deketelar playing off the shoulders of Olivier Giroud. Of course, Leao was suspended. For yes, this match, right? and Rebic came in to replace him and we realised that they don't even breathe the same air. <laughs> um, <laughs> I remember when um, Rebic was a deployable player. Nowadays, he yeah. seems busted. He might be starting, by the way, against Tottenham, um, up front, sole striker. But apparently, Giroud's training again. So that's just. Giroud is training again. He's I training also... He was injured, um, apparently, a slight mm -hmm. problem. But the videos were released of him training. So mm. I, I prefer Rebic as a striker than a winger nowadays. Same. Same. But we'll see. Um, maybe Rebic might actually be good for the press against Spurs. Yeah, maybe. But we'll see anyway. So. Uh, I'm going to throw up thinking of that game. <laughs> yes, tomorrow. Huh? Yeah. That is the reason why the episode's out earlier, by the way, because we're saving Wednesday for the Champions League. Exactly, exactly. The first notable action of the game was when Cabral, Nico Gonzalez and Mandragora linked up excellently to get the ball to Bonaventura, who squeezed it past Manian, but Tomori was there to clear it off the line. That was some lovely play by Fiorentina, really Oof. taking advantage of the space that Milan had between the players. Um, you see them waiting until the very last second to release the ball to really help their teammate out, yeah. um, getting the player as far away from them as possible. Exactly. Um, in the third 30th minute Giroud had a volley after a long ball he shot it straight into the goalkeeper oh, that had potential yeah. didn't it yeah that was a brilliant ball by Benasser that's why fucking yeah. Benasser is the first name on the team sheet for Milan exactly in the 49th minute Milan's four games without conceding came to an end after a perfectly executed Nico Gonzalez Jorginho-esque semi-no-look penalty was converted <laughs> um, Tomori repeated his error against Chelsea after getting spun by Jonathan Okona out on the left-hand side the Englishman panicked a rush of blood to the head as Okona entered the box he still had to beat Chao and uh, Manian but um, of course Tomori decided to drop Jonathan Ikone yeah. giving away the penalty you put a single hand on his shirt in that area from the back firstly you're not going to get the ball secondly he's going to go down and there's going to be a penalty like you said Chao was in a fantastic he position was, yes. to step in over there and he was about to Manian is also you know not Tatarasano yeah. he could actually do something about that aha schoolboy defending I'm afraid by, by Fick man Yes, um, not quite the dominant centre-back that we saw last season. This year, he's made a couple of mistakes. Um, mm -hmm. He looked flawless last season. To be fair. He's, he's a victim of his own high standards. But, exactly. But this was... 
This was schoolboy, as you yeah. said. Yeah. Um, Nico Gonzalez doesn't know how a bow and arrow work, by the way. N- N- Nico Gonzalez just he thought that celebration was gonna be cool, and I just look back. I can't even watch it. It's, no, it's so weird. It's so weird. Like first he pulls out the bow, and let me tell you, it's quite cool. Yeah, the way, the way he pulls he, it out. The way is... he pulls out the bow, it's like oh shit, this guy's gonna fucking fuck me up. Like <laughs> like it's bow in position, and he's just just going pew 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 pew, pew like <laughs> pulling the trigger with his finger. Like what are you doing, bro? <laughs> what are you doing? He was like, I'm gonna pull the arrow and then pull the trigger on my glove. <laughs> <laughs> it looked so cool in the beginning, man. Oh, whatever. Um, the second half started off with Giroud getting his header saved by Terracciano and Theo Hernandez missing a one on one against Terracciano. In the 80th minute, it was Manian who denied Jovic's header but couldn't save his second attempt in the 87th minute as Jovic headed in a dodo cross slam Donkarino. He yeah. beat um, Chao in the air over there. Chao also made a few mistakes this game um, and we hadn't really see, seen him make any mistakes. Last mm. episode, we mentioned that he had had made mistakes in the Bundesliga and yeah. perhaps I have jinxed him oh, well that, we'll get into it very very soon yeah um, Adli Salamakers Theo goal this happened in the 94th minute of course Adli kind of played a, a good forward pass to Sa- Salamakers um, this forward pass is getting overhyped on Twitter it, it, it was a good pass sure but it's pretty standard stuff for a playmaker um, <laughs> Salamakers brought the flames with, this, with the through ball to Theo Hernandez who finished very very well but this was a, a goal that I couldn't really enjoy it no. was too late the game was already over Theo Hernandez was against me on Fanta Calcio it was just sold in the wound. <laughs> So was, so was Nico Gonzalez, bro. Yeah, yeah that made this. I had a nightmare. Yeah, absolutely. I don't even want to talk about it. To yeah, be but I, I'm glad, at least, like, obviously, if I could take some happiness out of Theo Hernandez's goal, it's is that he was struggling. Mm. And sure, he semi scored in the game before. And sure, he assisted the game before. He assisted that, that Giroud goal. But this was a, a very good goal by Theo. He's having a good run of form now and, and hopefully it's more things to come. Yeah. I, I want to instantly pick up that conversation about Chao and Tomori making mistakes in this game, right? Sure. Um, every time Milan have played the 3-5-2 formation, sorry, 3-4-3 formation and utilized Chao, Kalulu and Tomori, because of Milan's tactical awareness in that formation, they really managed to neutralize their opponents. This was the first time where their opponents actually thrived against a 3-5-2 setup. And they were doing really well to play that quick football, bring it in from the flanks into the middle. And suddenly the defenders were all over each other and, and it was a bit of a, an organizational mess in that area. Mm-hmm. I think Fiorentina had a fantastic performance mm-hmm. even as a Milan fan sure I'm bummed out by the loss but it's not like Milan looked like utter shit normally when Milan lose it's because they played like fucking shit mm-hmm. like they like they have this year but this simply well done to Fiorentina Milan were absolutely outplayed and Milan were exposed and they were exposed not because of their low quality but because of the high quality by Fiorentina who have suddenly really turned things around the 3-0 away victory against the inform Hellas Verona and now they've just beaten the champions two goals to one Yes, and Italiano has made a habit of beating Milan and beating Pioli specifically. He beat Pioli and Milan with Spezia, that 2-0 yeah. um, victory, was it? It was fucking horrible. I was it out was, at dinner. 
Oh my god, yeah. I was at Sarah's that, that day watching it on the laptop. Because it was Valentine's Day, yeah. I Oof. think, or around Valentine's uh, Day. Around the time, maybe. Um, he's gotten figured out, he's the better bald man. <laughs> <laughs> I thought as, as the bald community, you stick together and you don't like put bald man over. No, it's, it's what's his name? Italiano has a smoother head. Yeah, but I mean, Pioli's got the drip to go with it, no? Yeah, Pioli's a... A handsome man as well, to be yeah. honest. Let, let's yeah. give him his flowers. Love you, Pioli. So, bro, I want to talk about Krunic a little bit because um, during Milan's month of poor form where they were losing 10-0 to everyone, <laughs> um, Krunic was absent, right? And yeah. then Krunic came back into the starting 11, essentially, and Milan won four games in a row without conceding a single goal. Yeah. Now, Krunic was out in this one after getting a yellow card uh, for a foul on Jeremy Boga against Atalanta in the last game, a cumulative yellows. Yeah. And Milan lose to Fiorentina. Is this a coincidence? I think I think so. Um, I think the guy is definitely a great player. I think every Milan fan in the right mind would, would rather have the setup of Ben Nasser and Tonali playing together. However, I, I do think that he could have played a big part in a, when... Bakayoko came on in the 66th had that change been Krunic instead hmm. with him being so adaptable with him being so versatile you want him to attack he attacks well you want him to defend he defends well you want him to press he fucking press and he'll be that savage I think he would have been such a good addition ahead of Bakayoko and that could have potentially had some kind of difference made in the game yeah um <laughs> Origi, Bakayoko and um, Zlatan all came on um, at the same time, to be honest. Yes, all in the 66th minute. And I was like bringing on th three trees. Yeah, yeah. The, the, he, he brought on a, a bunch of players for the physicality. Um, there's no doubt about that. You see the three players that, that came on. They're literally all very, yeah. very physical. <laughs> um, I would have brought on Salamakers. Adli or Pobega, man. Salamakers and Adli or Pobega, to be honest with you earlier on. Mm. I, I don't know. You, you have to look at uh, offensive avenues right now. Messias was not on this game. You know, he wasn't no. very effective. Tonali's form has been pretty low, man. It's been bad. Um, and to be honest, going into the Spurs game, I would start with Benasser and Krunic in the middle. Okay, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, maybe for the high stake matches, yes, I man. think maybe Tonali needs a bit of a break because it doesn't seem like it's getting any better for him. I don't know if he's failing to adapt to the system um, or if he's just having a bit of a, a bad spell maybe a bit of both mm -hmm. but yeah I think I think he needs a bit of a break man yeah I think so maybe sit one out recollect yeah. yourself watch from the sideline re-enter again um, I was impressed to see Deke Talara um, having a few moments of uh, brilliance quite frankly he had a great moment yeah. bro where he floored Dodo and whipped in a, a sailing ball to the he, far post. He that dribbled was... past two players like yeah. Prime Milicic. <laughs> yeah, true. And that, I was so happy to get that glimpse of the Gatelare because it is coming. And can we talk about that? Can we talk about how Leao posted before the game saying CDK will get his first goal today? You heard it here first. Yeah, he's like, like everyone else on Twitter. Yeah, like <laughs> literally, <laughs> like I get it. Kudos, Leo, for being so supportive of your man. But if, like, we played for Milan and I hadn't scored yet, and you wrote that about me after the game, I'd be like, "What the fuck, bro?" That's because you're really sensitive, though. <laughs> 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 it does add a sense of pressure because like let the media talk let the fans talk the nonsense the gibberish yeah. and then just stay out of that 
Yeah. You, you don't need to feed the hype of ah, the Kate Lara hasn't scored yet, the Kate Lara hasn't scored yet, because he's feeding that. He's turned yeah. it from something a pundit would say, something a fan would say, something two idiots on a podcast would yeah. say, to something his fucking teammate is something saying. Something internal. Exactly. Oh, that's exactly. True. That's a fucking good point, actually. Thank you. Um, yes, and speaking of Leao, man, Leao is vital for this Milan team. And even when he doesn't show up, you know, the, st- the stats don't lie. Um, listen to this. Since the start of last season, Rafael Leao... Um, has missed five Serie A matches. Mm-hmm. During this period, Milan earned 1.4 points per game. Ah. They had a 40% win rate without Leo. Now, that's with, not a coincidence. With Leo on the pitch, it rises to 2.2 and the win rate rises to 67%. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, now that is not a, not a coincidence. Yes. Um, it is going to be very... It's going to be terrible for Milan to inevitably watch Leao go within the next two seasons because hmm. he, he will leave the club within the next two seasons. I mean, there's too much kind of... There are too many signs that that's going to happen and that yeah. is going to have quite a bad effect on Milan because they really found someone that can just change the game with the simple touch of a football and change the way in which the team operates because now they could play a long ball from the back down the flank and you know they just know that your guy is gonna get there and not only that but the opposition instantly have three men on him creating space around the other side so Milan are gonna need to look further than fucking Noah Lang and Saint Maximan when 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 removing Leo from the picture you look at Leo Leo is a player that is to be honest too good for this Milan team and what 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 relax all right give me a sec (laughs) so so the only reason Milan have a 90 million 100 million euro winger is because they bought him young they bought the dip no (laughs) yeah literally um he, other than that, there's no other way Milan would have a player of that caliber, you know? So it's kind of the result of buying young. It's it's that uh, Gazidis um, philosophy, yeah. right? But this, over the span of 10, 15, 20 years, will turn you into a club that can actually buy yeah. that type of player. So now this is only the early days. You know, you see a few players over here who were fantastic investments that Milan could never afford to buy. Teo Hernandez and Leao in particular. You know, you look elsewhere, they're growing as well. Ben is another one who's sprouted. You know, he was was brought in for less than 20 million euros. He must be worth at least 40 now. Um, Tonali, another one. You know, you look at Tomori, Tomori, Chao, Kalulu. All these guys were good investments. So I'm curious to see what happens to this Milan team within the next 10, 15 years because they are on the right path business-wise. And when you look at the fact that they have... um, cut their losses down to 20 million, which yeah. is absolutely crazy when you look at the losses Milan were dealing with with the yeah. ownership of Young Hong Lee. I'm talking about like yeah. 200 million euro yeah, under yeah, the yeah, European yeah, yeah. football suspension. Yeah. So Milan are definitely on the right track in the long term. When people start freaking out, Pioli out, Pioli out, this isn't the team that won the league Come last on, season. Man. Milan should have never won the league last season so early on in this project. Yeah. I mean... Milan fans should be grateful. The objective is top four. You miss out on top four, then you talk about sacking the manager. But as yeah. it stands right now, Milan are on track and they're still in the Champions League. And, you know, bar that fucking weird month, they're doing all right. Yeah, and and I think the moral of the story over here is pay Maldini and Massara, whatever the fuck they're asking for. <laughs> That's where you should invest your money because these are the guys that are really putting in the work to 
get the the balance sheet down and and to um, create a a team that can excel in the league and in the Champions League with close to no funding, man. What what they've been capable of doing with this Milan team is magical and they have a vision Mm -hmm. and purely just fits perfectly into that because he's a man manager, he's a motivator, he keeps the players happy. And then fuck it, obviously, with the way Milan are set up right now. Like you're saying, you keep a player who's on the verge of being world-class until he's 25, 26, and you sell him in his prime and you make a bunch of money from that. And that's what Milan are trying to do. That's what they've failed to do because a bunch of players left on a free. But hopefully they'll learn with this Leao situation. And if it doesn't extend, then this summer, Milan will see him go for 90 million euros at least, I would yeah, say. Yeah, yeah. Um... I do think, however, that uh, Maldini and Massara did start off better with their with their deals than last season or this season. Kind of, um, how am I going to word this? <laughs> they were better than the than the last one. The last transfer market was their worst one so far. Their last two transfer windows were their worst two so far, in my opinion, with uh, Maldini and Massara. And it's not even opinion based; it's a fact. The signings that they made have not been utilized at all by Pioli. You look at, okay, Chao now broke into the team, but you look at Origi, he's done nothing. Granted, that was a- Free coup. Uh, that was a free coup, whatever, fair enough. But the Catalaria wasting so much time in the Mercato. Season one, in. bro. See, season it's, one, it's again, yes. Season. Sure. Teo was fucking dodgy on his it's first true. layout. Uh, sir, I was like, uh, why Donali. didn't we keep Cutrone? Yeah. Kind of <laughs> fucking thing in, in season one, bro. Yeah, but Shit. it's weird how, you know, fucking, the team, the players that came in have barely featured. That is a bit worrying in my opinion. It's true, but it's also the lack of funding that yeah. he had because if it were up to Maldini and Massar, they would have, you know, spent spent a bit more yeah. money than they did. You know what Milan should do though? You know, that like fucking 12-year-old that's scoring a thousand goals in 17 games for Milan. <laughs> come on, don't Maybe he should come on, man. <laughs> Maybe he should come on. Yeah, he should be Milan starter against Spurs. <laughs> now... Fiorentina, bro, are on a good run. They have found their scoring ways. They have three avenues to get into Europe next year. They can either try to push for that seventh place finish, which, Mm. to be honest, isn't that far-fetched as they are in 12th with 31 points. And in seventh, there is Juve with 35 points. So that is still a possibility to to get into Europe through the league. That's a difficult avenue. There are two more avenues which are quite difficult too, to be honest. One of them is the Coppa Italia Mm -hmm. to get you into the Europa League. Mm -hmm. And the other one is the Conference League. You win the conference, yeah. you get into the Europa League. So they have three doors. Yeah. Watch them all shut within a month. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think they'll be in Europe next year? Um no. No. I don't I don't think so. I think they're capable of doing it, but I I, I don't see it happening. I don't think they'll win conference. Um I don't think they will win the Coppa. They have Cremonese now in the semi-final. Mm, and then they have the final. Ah, they can do it. I don't want to be so abrupt with my no, because yeah. like you said, there are three windows, two more likely than, than the other, I would say. But I don't know, man, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. maybe. I don't think it'll happen through the league. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I agree with that. I don't think they'll make it through the league, but maybe through the Europa League or more likely the Coppa Italia. Yeah. They, 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 let me tell you what, man. I liked what I saw the past two games by Fiorentina. I really, really liked what I saw. And they're turning up that heat again. They've got Nico. They've got Ikone, who is just spinning motherfuckers. Mm. It was Davidovic and Tomori. 
two fucking tombstones in his bedroom. And ah man, I think I think finally they've picked it up again, Fiorentina. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, I also want to highlight um, during Fiorentina's second goal, where was Theo Hernandez? Now, Milan. That happens sometimes. Yeah, sometimes it happens. You know, you look at your left back, where is he? <laughs> I can't see him anywhere. Milan are currently in fifth, just outside the Champions League spot with 47 points, while Fiorentina are in 12th with 31 points. The next game we're going to be covering is Inter 2 Lecce nil. The previous encounter was a 2-1 victory for Inter away from home on match day one. The pressure was on for the Nerazzurri after their surprise defeat to Bologna last week and a victory was needed to retain second place. Joaquin Correa, Di Marco and Skriniar were still out of action. Baschirotto was suspended for the Salentini who also missed Castro Dermaku and Martin Pongracic. But they did see the return of Samuel Umtiti and Federico Di Francesco which is a massive plus for them. Inter starting their 3-5-2 formation with Onana and Gola and the backline of Bastoni, Acerbi and Darmian. They had Gossens out on the left and Dumfries out on the right with Mkhitaryan, Chalanoglu and Barella starting in the midfield. Chalanoglu starting in the register role ahead of Brozovic here with Zeko and Lautaro Martinez up front. For Lecce, it was their 4-3-3 formation with Falcone and Gola and the backline of Jean-Dre, Tuya, Umtiti and Petzella. Gonzalez, Hulman and Male formed the midfield three with Strefezza out on the right, Di Francesco out on the left and Assan Cisse once again starting ahead of Colombo up front. So on the 28th minute Inter opened the scoring through Henrik Mkhitaryan. It was a great move by Inter as Gossens had acres of space to square the ball to Barella inside of the box who sent Male to the Macellaio with Adami before laying it off to Mkhitaryan who finished into the top corner in clear Mkhitaryan fashion. It was brilliant by Gossens, it was brilliant by Barella and it was brilliant by Mkhitaryan. In the 52nd minute, Dumfries found Lautaro in the box from the flank and Lautaro finished past Falcone with a first-time strike. That's his 14th goal of the season. In the 66th minute, Gossens had penalty appeals waved away when he seemed to anticipate Alexis Blin, but the referee and VAR saw nothing amiss. Debatable. I think there was there was contact over there. Sure, it wasn't much contact, but I think other referees uh. would, have, would have given that. I mean... Nothing flashy by Inter, but they controlled the game and they came out the victors. Yeah, they worked hard. Huh? They, they ran a lot as well. They did. Um, you look at this game, there are quite a few positives for Inter to take. You look at, for example, Gossens has actually picked up a couple of good performances now and are always him back to his uh, usual self. Yeah. Um, you look at the fact that Denzel Dumfries as well, who was being booed by the fans, managed to get an assist on Lautaro Martinez. Lautaro instantly pointed at Dumfries and kind of told the fans like, hey, this is your guy, you're meant to yeah. be applauding him. Um, you, we're seeing... Inter playing decently without Brozovic, which wasn't very common before. Um, and you look at the fact that now apparently Brozovic and Inter are not as close as they used to be with Brozovic potentially being transfer listed um, in the near future. Now, that that's confusing to me. It It is confusing. However, I'm going to be the devil's advocate and say they, they have their replacement over here. I mean... The way Hakan has been playing in that register role, I'm not going to lie, bro. He's been very, very fucking no, impressive. No, of course, yes, yes. He's and been, he's been on very good. on certain occasions, you'd think like in the Napoli game, for example, when they beat Napoli and it was Hakan's start at, mm. as his feet as a register. Sometimes he's straight up better, man. 
Sometimes he's straight up better. Brozovic is one of the best registers in, in the league. He's definitely Inter's main number one most talented register. But Chalanoglu is really fitting that role. And I think it was an active choice. He he chose Simon Enzaghi, chose Chalanoglu to start ahead yes. of Brozovic in this match because he was better suited for it. Brozovic, to be fair, is coming off an injury. So he probably most likely wouldn't have started this game. But... I still think that as a pure regista, um, you look at Brozovic, for example, let's take Brozovic last season. Mm. Miles better than Chalanoglu at regista. Chalanoglu can put in a shift as the Mezzal over there instead of Mkhitaryan maybe, you know, or shifting with Mkhitaryan. They can both play, um, or Mkhitaryan can be utilized as a game changer, you know, a super sub in the last 20 minutes of the game. But Brozovic, in my opinion, is one of the best metronomes in the league and just letting him go because of because of what? There's no reason to let him go. No, I mean, maybe wages or, or I don't know what the case may be that they let him go. And they shouldn't because he's their number one over there. But they have Hakan. And yeah. you mentioned him playing in a Mezzala, for example. He can play there as well. But as yeah. a regista, he's really grown into the role. And he's just so calm under pressure when he gets the ball in that area. And you see him look up and, and he plays the right pass. People are playing it to him in tight spaces and he's cool, he's calm. Um, he put in a man of the match performance in this game. He tallied up four key passes, four accurate crosses, seven successful long balls and he had two duels won. He had a very yes, well-rounded showing yes. in this game. That's true. No, no, you're, you're right. Um, I've just Googled it very quickly. Apparently the... Um how Inter managed the injuries of Brozovic actually deepened the rift between mm. Inter and Brozovic. So apparently it's the way he was managed when he was injured. That's okay. quite, quite interesting. It's the same thing as Gossens. Why Gossens yeah. um, broke up with Atalanta. <laughs> <laughs> um, Inter have been very impressive in the San Siro this yes. year. You know how you see that good Inter and that bad Inter? The good Inter are typically at San Siro and the bad Inter are typically away from home. And we have spoken about their bad away form a little bit, but it's time we take a look at their home form a bit and how they are in the uh, San Siro. They have 12 wins out of 14 at home in this area this season, only yeah. dropping points when losing to Roma and Empoli. <laughs> Obviously, their away form is, is another story, but what a difference it makes, massive, man. Eh? Massive, having those fans backing you up, 75, 80,000 people um, screaming your name makes a, makes a massive difference. Mm. Mm. Not, not, they wouldn't be fun people to travel with, these <laughs> Inter players. I think you go on holiday with yeah. them and they just start fucking up. Like, yeah. like, I'm not going out tonight, guys. I'm not feeling well. <laughs> <laughs> or they go out and they pass out. <laughs> exactly. At pre-drinks. Exactly. I want to also, bro, um, give a shout out to Acherbi. Bravo. Who, who that was, was next for me. Yeah. <laughs> he was brought in to be the fourth choice centre-back. You know, that first one off the bench yeah. um, with uh, Bastoni, Skriniar and Devray, of course, being the starters. But Acherbi has looked like the best one. Yeah, literally, man. He's a genuine solution to the mm -hmm. defensive woes that they faced at the start of the season. When they miss key personnel, like the occasion, like in this game, for example, they miss Skriniar. At a point, they were missing Bastoni. At a point, they were missing Devray. This guy is there experienced in the middle of that three-man defense, just ensuring that everyone's in line and check. And let me tell you what, the guy's great in the air. He can tackle. To be honest, 
I thought he was washed up after his last yeah. season at Lazio. I really thought he was past it. But wow, he's really slotted in well to this Inter team, man. Yes, he has at the age of 35. Huh? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. When leading the game, Inzaghi opted to bring on Gagliardini in the 78th minute, a player who was leaving on a free next summer, once again ahead of Aslani. Seems like Aslani isn't getting much of a sniff this season, a supposed signing for the future. However, he hasn't been utilised much, and I think he could be being utilised more. For sure. Um, to be honest, I just had to check if he was at the game because it is so surprising that he keeps bringing on Gagliardini. Mm-hmm. Um, he was at the game. Um, especially when you have a 2 nil advantage. You know, you look at Gagliardini was brought in in the 78th minute. Surely he could have given Aslani yeah. those minutes. But yeah, it is very strange. But maybe Gagliardini is just performing better in training. Who knows? And maybe Simone Enzaghi doesn't want to risk it. We know what a perfectionist he is. We know how he's single-handedly stopped the entire inter-team from getting a single <laughs> out of fear of being substituted early on literally there wasn't a single yellow card in this game no which is surprising on lectures end but yeah. I guess they say you know if we're, we can see the two goals relatively early on well not even relatively early on actually no. they, they could have fucking got a bit more stuck in you know what I mean but yeah they missed Baskerotto in this game which is obviously quite a big loss for yes, them this is the first game he missed this season yeah, yeah it's all the chicken and rice bro that's it he finally got Salmonella from it. <laughs> Lecce were very beta in this game. I did think they were going to put up more of a fight against Inter. Obviously, it's not easy. Inter are a very tough side to play against, especially at San Siro, so I won't give them too much shit over there. Cissé yeah. is a talent. Let me put it that way. Cissé is a talent. Um, I'm not sure how high his ceiling is. He's a 28-year-old talent. Oh, wow. I thought he, he was just, younger he than that. He just has a baby face, bro. Oh, wow. I, 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 I did think he was younger <laughs> than that. But I didn't mean a talent as in like, you know, a, a, an up-and-comer. But yeah, he's not really a talent, is he? At, at 28 years old. And this <laughs> but is he, is he is talented. He is talented, though. And at a point, like he skipped past one of the defenders by knocking the ball around them and going yeah, around the yeah. other way. Had a crack at goal. Was Lecce's only real opportunity. Um, and, and yeah, it's... We'll we'll see more of Cisse over Colombo, and I think Colombo is more going to be utilized as a super sub, so to say. Perhaps I mean they they've both had their moments eh, this season. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that Lecce will probably continue next season with Cisse, as Colombo will probably be back at Milan, and we'll see what they'll do with him there. Perhaps they'll um, sell him on for some plus Valencia, get rid of that twenty million. Um, yeah. What what would you call it? that twenty million debt? debt. Yes. Um, or they'll even play him. They can utilize him as a as a third choice uh, striker. I Colombo. really don't think he's now, ready, man. He's got more goals than Origi and Zlatan combined. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair enough, I guess. I guess. Yeah. So he would definitely be a suitable second choice. He'd probably be start be playing for Milan, maybe not starting every game, but he'd definitely be featuring for Milan this season. Colombo, if he were on the bench. Mm. You know who I think Milan moved quite prematurely, but I think his his performances nowadays uh, have shown that Milan were actually right. Pellegri. It feels like Pellegri had so much hype around him. Yeah. And then he was average, to say the least, and Milan just offloaded him. Yes, he, he was one of those players that Milan felt obliged to try to rehabilitate. Mm. Um, the likes of Bojan, you know, back in yeah. the day, or Rigi now. You know, Milan buy these injury-prone players and try to 
I didn't know that was his reputation. Yes, yes, Pellegri was with Genoa at at 16 years old, a wonder kid scoring goals at 16. Um, He got injured, he moved to France, suffered from even more injuries, and then was brought to to Milan, where he suffered even more injuries. Now he's at Torino, where he's also suffering more injuries. Yeah, man, he's been out of he's been out for a while, and to be honest, I have no idea when we're going to see him next. And and I think at this point, Sanabria is just a better option. To be honest, Inter are in second on fifty points, now just fifteen points behind league leaders Napoli, whilst Lecce dropped down to fifteenth on twenty seven points. Yeah, the next game we are going to be covering is Atalanta nil Udinese nil. The previous encounter was a 2-2 draw um, at Udinese Stadium. Now, Atalanta have found... Oh, you mean the Jewess? The Jewess. So Atalanta had found the net in each of their previous 15 Serie A matches against Udinese, scoring an average of 2.3 goals per match. So for Udinese, this wasn't a terrible result. <laughs> they, no. <laughs> they look at it as a, as a kind of combo breaker, right? Yeah. Um, Udinese had only won one of their previous 14 matches away against Atalanta. Uh, it was a 3-1 win in December 2016. And the opener was scored, scored by Duvan Zapata, who now Ooh. plays for Atalanta, of course. Um, Udinese have won just one of their last 17 Serie A matches. Jesus. They have 10 draws and 6 losses and the only side in Europe's big five leagues that recorded fewer wins than um, Udinese and the Spirit is actually Angers. Angers? Angers? How do I you guess. Pro- how do you I don't know. The, the French team. Yeah, no. the French team. Anjan. Anjan, I guess. Angers. They, Angers. They, they have been... It, it, Udinese reminds me of those old people that just speak about the good old days. <laughs> the good old days being the, the opening seven matches in, in Serie A. Yeah, they're like that student that starts the year off really well, but kind of gives up two months in. Me. You. They're you. They're you at yeah. St. Martin's. Yeah, literally. There we go, bro. I'm going to use a highlighter this year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Th- this is my notepad. <laughs> <laughs> so Atalanta lined up with their 3-4-3 formation with Juan Musso in goal, Jim City, Demiral and Toloi were at the back. Rook Jerry on the left to replace Zappacosta after he suffered his weekly injury. Mele <laughs> was on the right. Coop Miners and Darun were in the middle with Jeremy Boga starting on the left this, uh, this time. Lukman was on the right and Hoyland was up front. For Udinese, it was Silvestri in goal. Bacau, Biol and Perez were at the back Perez was wearing a Santa hat this game <laughs> Bolesa was on the right Udoji on the left Loveridge, Wallace and Arslan were in the middle With Beto and success up front If you think I'm joking about the Christmas hat <laughs> Go check out the highlights <laughs> Now The main takeaway from Udinese's starting 11 was that they went for a more defensive approach against this Atalanta team. As typically, there's a bit of a a ballot between um, Samardzic and Pereira, no? Yeah. They're always competing for the starting spot. In this game, they were both benched for Wallace, Arslan and Loverich. And that's a very physical 
midfield three. And to be honest, it did get the job done to a certain extent because I'm sure they would have taken a draw against Atalanta. Granted, Atalanta aren't on the best form, but Udinese, as we mentioned, haven't won in eons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they've, they've got to pick their battles. I don't think they were going to go for a victory in this game unless obviously they, they weren't going to purposely miss an opportunity, you know, but, yeah. but I, they weren't set up to take the victory in exactly. this game. They, they were there to for tame, risk. Exactly. They were there to tame their opponents. Yeah. The first important chance of the match came in the 17th minute when Beto tore into the middle of the field and served the onrushing Lovrich, whose shot was powerful, but not precise. In the 27th minute, there was another chance for Udinese with a lazy Jim City pass back to the goalkeeper. It saw Beto take the opportunity to recover the ball, but Juan Musso was very good at coming out, reading the play and stopping the charging Beto. Atalanta continued to grind the game out, but the opportunity only came from dirty balls that were difficult to convert into goals. Um, dirty balls have never really gotten me many opportunities. Man. Not really. Dirty balls actually stop you from getting opportunities. Exactly. Now, in the 37th minute, Kupminers tried a shot from a distance. Silvestri um, blocked it on the ground it was a very easy save to be honest for him <laughs> the second half started with Udinese pressing hard and high and Atalanta breaking on the counter with Boga's speed and Silvestri forcing an Ederson shot out for a corner um, so you look at this the fact that Udinese did line up with a more physical team but they did press very aggressively and I wonder I wonder if that makes a difference you know the fact that Pereira and Samardzic aren't the most active pressers you'll ever see but no. these guys really are you know you look at Wallace Loveridge and um, Arslan Arslan yeah they're very hard working industrious midfielders and perhaps um, that's the reason they got these opportunities and they're like two completely different ends of the spectrum because like you said Arslan Wallace and, and Loveridge and Makengo as well yeah. last season um, they're all really high press. However, then Pereira and Samaradzic are more like the silky dribbling exactly. type. Exactly, they bring you the technique. Exactly. Not, not much work off the ball, however. They exactly. could even be deemed as some, by some, as lazy. Yeah, I mean, sure. Um, Lukman had a shot saved well by Silvestri's foot and he shot wide in a separate play shortly after. That was a really good chance where he cut in onto his left. Lukman does this amazing thing where he, he goes to shoot with his right but feints taking it onto yeah. his left. You know, it's a really silk, silky move. Yeah. In the 63rd minute, Mela crossed. Bekau managed to intercept it. In the 75th minute, Thuvan, who had just entered, shot from a favorable position but the shot was not strong enough and the match ended with Pasalic trying to place the ball into the back of the net but the shot got blocked and from the corner Toloi had a shot but it was saved very well by Silvestri yeah. for me the man of the match was Silvestri I think so as well man I think so I think you'll give it to um, any one of the three defenders of Udinese as well they, they did have a very good performance and it's no easy task neutralizing Hoyland, Lukman and, and Boga. And I think they did a fantastic job of that. So credit goes to that back four for them. Yeah. Um, these are two struggling sides over here. I'm sure they'll both take a draw um, at the moment. Perhaps Atalanta would be bitter um, not to get the victory. Absolutely, when they see that Milan slipped up yeah, and they recently yeah, lost they a six-pointer against there. them. They'd and, be bummed about it. And they could have cut the distance with Juve as well. 
Atalanta have one win in their last five games. They have lost to Lecce, Milan and Sassuolo. They have beaten Lazio and drawn to Udinese. So mm. um, a bit of a mixed batch over there yeah. for them. Yeah. Can't yeah. really place what's going on at this Atalanta side and what's what's not working. The main thing that I notice when it comes to the successful Atalanta team of the past and this one are the fullbacks, man. Absolutely. 100%. 100%. These guys are not as good. You look at Mele, okay, sure, he's fast, he's he's quite dangerous, but he's nowhere near as um as okay, let, okay, let's let's not focus on Mele actually. Let let's look at Mele as a direct substitute of Hans Hatteberg. They're very similar players. Yeah. No, they're both industrious, they both cover the ground well, up and down, up and down, all game three lungs, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're not very different. But then when you look at that left side, oh, when man. you had that prime Gossens working tirelessly, a player that can score, a player with such good technique for a fullback. And then you're going to the likes of Ruggeri and Zappacosta. I think that's the biggest blow for Atalanta because you look at the other departments. Granted, Freuler was a great player and a big loss for them, but Coop Miners is no joke. He's a fucking good player as well. Probably an even more complete midfielder than Freuler is. Yeah. Thing is, they haven't replaced Gorsens. And when when they offloaded him to Inter when he was injured, I I thought it was a bit of a rush decision by by Atalanta. It's almost like they were frustrated with his injuries. Mm -hmm. So they let him go thinking he wasn't going to... I think he he wanted to leave, right? Because of the way they managed his injuries. They they, they aggravated it. Yeah, it it was that as well. Um, But they haven't really replaced him. I mean, they stuck to their old guns in, in Zappa Costa, who isn't the player that he used to be. Sure, he puts in a shift. Yeah. But he's obviously no, no Gossens. Ruggeri is still finding his feet. And they struggle a lot down that department. That's why I like seeing Boga in this mm-hmm. team, because mm-hmm. he gives them that pace on the left-hand side, man. But then I also like having Hoyland and Lukman playing together up front as a front two rather than Lukman on the wing, because Lukman is dangerous in front of goal, man. Yeah, at, at this point, play Mele on the left and play Brandon Soppy on the right. Fair enough, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. But anyway, yes, um, Lukman Boga Hoyland is not a bad three players to have up front at all. Um, that's definitely not the reason um, that they're not doing well. Perhaps it's the... Oh, the options coming off the bench to replace Hoyland. You look at Muriel and Zapata. Zapata can barely catch a break from injuries at the moment. While Muriel looks like he's on a pack of Marlboro Gold and other four <laughs> Kit Cats a day at the moment. <laughs> this is diet. Yeah. No, th- those two need to go. Yeah, they, they need at to this go, point, like. at this point, just yeah, literally, it's over for you here. The, go- the good old days are behind you. Yeah, they and are, I think even, the good bro, old days. Like obviously, they they lost Papu a while ago now but still they lost Papu and they had Miranchuk they had Pessina and they had Malinowski yeah and they just <clears throat> fucking lost them all bro they lost them all and they kept Coke Miners they kept Pasalic who really has been underwhelming this season and obviously their own we can't complain yeah. about because he's the absolute metronome of that team but but they're not really playing with a trequartista anymore. They're not, they're not. I think that's the reason they offloaded all these players. The only one they kept was Pasalic, but he's the most versatile of the lot, so it makes yeah. the most sense to keep him technically. But it doesn't mean because you're not playing with um, with an attacking midfielder that you don't keep an attacking midfielder. Because sometimes if you need to change mentality in the match, you're going to be utilizing someone in yeah. that area. Now, sure, Cope Miners can go there, but how many lungs does Cope Miners have? How many pair of leg, pairs of legs does Cope Miners have? I feel like removing those three, especially after losing Papu, 
it wasn't the best decision for yeah. Atalanta. They they focused so much on offloading. And then sure, they got Boga, they got Cope Miners, they got Hoyland, they got Lookman. Great fucking signings. But where's that rotation that they had? Yeah. And and the thing is, it was weird because when Boga was brought in, they were playing a 3-4-1-2 formation of Malinowski in the hole, right? And Boga was probably looking at that thinking, where the hell am I going to play yeah. over here? I'm not going to do the defensive work a left wing back does. And I'm not going to play as a striker at Trequartista. And he was being brought on as a Trequartista. Now that yeah. was weird now they've changed to a 3-4-3 not now sorry and then after that they changed to a 3-4-3 formation um, and they actually kept Malinowski and then Boga could actually go into the, exactly. the left wing and Malinowski was looking at every game you know every game 3-4-3-3 thinking to himself where the fuck am I going to fit into yeah. this this yeah. isn't for me you know so it is hard to keep a player like that then you get Ivan Tudor calling you um, with Marseille and obviously you're going to go away yeah I mean that that's it. I think to be honest, we we nailed down what's wrong. Igor, with that, Igor uh, Tudor, sorry. Igor Tudor, Tudor yeah. Yes. yeah. What did you say? Ivan. Ivan. Yeah. I mean yeah. similar. <laughs> Atalanta currently sit in sixth as they continue to fall from the top four spots. They've got 42 points, while Udinese have fallen to tenth with 32 points. The next game we're going to be covering is Torino's victory over Bologna, one goal. The previous encounter was a victory for Bologna, on the other hand, beating Torino 2-1. When it comes to injuries and suspensions, Ricci was suspended for Torino, whilst Dominguez for Bologna was out due to any injury. This was a potential battle for Europe, really. We might not see either of the teams in Europe, but it was a battle for Europe in the grand scheme of things. So Torino started in their 3-4-3 formation with Vanya and Gola on the back line of Bongiorno, Shores and Gigi. They had Ricardo Rodriguez out on the left and Singo out on the right. Linetti and Illich in the middle with Caramo and Miranchuk starting behind Sanabria. It was nice seeing Ricardo Rodriguez out on the left. Hey, hey, um, I mean... Nice, nice because it's a throwback, yes, <laughs> yeah. but I'm sure that the fans of Torino weren't too happy with that. No. Um, he can't really advance beyond the halfway point because if they counter, he's out. fucked. Yes, he'll get yeah. caught out. Especially when you have Voivoda, you know what I mean? And yes, but perhaps, Aina. you know what that must have been? An mm. attempt to control Orsolini a little bit, to keep him in check because you have two defensive players on that left side and Ricardo Rodriguez and Bongiorno who can actually handle him. Hey, it worked. It did. For Bologna, it was a 4-2-3-1 formation with Skorupski in goal and the back line of Posh, Lukumi, Sosa and Cambiaso. They had Moro and Schouten as the midfield too with Orsolini out on the right, Soriano out on the left, Ferguson as an attacking midfielder and Musa Barrow up front. Now in the 22nd minute, Caramo opened the scoring. It was a moment of magic for him as the ball seemed glued to his foot as he managed to dance past the tight Torino defense in their box before slotting past Skorupski. Ricardo Orsolini wasted Bologna's best chance a few minutes later, seeing Torino defender Per Schurz performing a lovely, timely recovery run to prevent him from kicking the ball from the edge of the box with only Milinkovic Savic in front of him. Great tracking back by Schurz. Orsolini would have hoped to do better over there. Voivoda could have doubled Torino's lead but didn't finalize a quick counter-attack, sending his header over the bar from an excellent position and the game ended 1-0 in favor of Torino. Torino had 12 shots to Bologna's 11, 5 on target to Bologna's 1. Um, it was quite a tight 
Mm. Affair. <laughs> I think Torino managed to shut out Bologna way more than the latter yeah. managed to shut out the former. Um, that goal by Karamoch was a was a masterpiece. Uh, Karamoch on great form, scoring three goals in five games. Absolutely, I, I thought it was four goals in six matches. Oh, that's uh, even better. Two of which were winners. Um, he had this one against Bologna and then the one nil against Udinese yeah. as well. Bro, I've got Karamoch on my fantasy football. And I also have Zeko, Giroud, Petania, and Zeko. And your third. Yes, um, your second. Okay, yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm never playing Karamoh, right? Because obviously I'm playing Zeko, Giroud, Petania, or Zeko, Giroud, Abraham. I also have mm. Abraham. Um, so I, Karamoh can't get a sniff, but he's always on the bench with a 10. Yeah. You know, always. Mm. And I'm like, shit, dude, I'm going to have to play this guy, but who do I drop? And then the thing is, the other three just aren't scoring, so I could technically drop any of them. Literally. But I know the second I drop one of those guys, they score. they're scoring, bro. Yeah. And that's that's just the nature of fantasy football. That's the... That's Mein Kampf, bro. Uh-huh. And it's always frustrating having so many options on Fanta. When you have a lot of options, I don't just have your go-to starting 11 and then like the Amrabats, which are guaranteed starters, but only get you a six or a five. Like, um, it's frustrating because you have to make big calls yeah. every week and sometimes it stresses me oh out my so God, much, man. So much. When you have two keepers, one's playing Atalanta and the other <laughs> one's like with Sassuolo, but they're playing against... Cremonese, for example, <laughs> like which one do you start over there? The team that can keep a clean sheet or the team that are playing against relegation side? I've the one-goaler approach at this point. Just take a keeper and his two subs and you're good to go. You don't have to think about it in that yeah. department. Yeah. But anyway. But let, let's get back into this. So it was a, vi- a vital win for Torino and a potential race for Europe after losing 4-2 four, four in the Derby della Mole. In what was another race for Europe, that yeah. was a, another one. Um, great recovery from Ivan Juric and La Granata. Bologna are, are no easy feat at the moment. They're red hot. They're coming off a win against Inter and have shown that they are a very dangerous side for anyone under Thiago Motta, who has really managed to get the best out of his players, especially Orsolini. Yeah. Orsolini, overall, is the most dangerous Italian striker in the top five leagues. He has scored seven goals in 21 Serie A appearances in 2022-2023. Wow, okay, nice. There we go. There's his national team call-up. I I was thinking about the national team the other day, the Italian national team. And apart from the fact that Orsolini should definitely be called up, um, you look at Italy's centre-back partnership right now. Mm. I'm I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here, but it is an interesting point. Um, can you name a better Italian centre-back at the moment than Romagnoli? Probably Acerbi. Acerbi, okay. Maybe. Sure, Acherby. fair enough. But Acerbi's old, you know, he's not going to be there for any of the major competitions coming up. Mm. Do you look at, for example, Romagnoli, Chassale? That's probably the best centre-back duo you have and they play together every week, yeah. so it might be useful to take them both to the national team. Uh-huh. Well, that's sad for Italia. I know. <laughs> that's very sad. Know. They're known for that. I mean, Maldini, Chiellini, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nesta, Bonucci. Baresi. Baresi. Yeah. All these guys. And then you have Romagnoli and Cesale. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, man, who knows? I mean, they're, they're playing very well. Yeah. Which one of these teams gets Conference League? So I think... That's a juice. None of them, bro. None of them. Neither of them. Okay, then who does? Who gets Conference League? 
Uh, <laughs> Juve. <laughs> no, no, Atalanta. Juve get Europa League. Okay, okay. That's a good shout. That is a very good shout. At the moment, I would go so far as to say that. Wait, am I even convinced about that? I'm not convinced, bro. What, what aren't you You fucking broke about? my brain, dude. That's what you just done. I don't know how I meant to fucking know, dude. Between no, Bologna look, and Torino, who okay. do you think is more likely to get Europe? Okay, okay, okay. So I'm going to forget the other teams. So between Bologna and Torino, who's more likely to get Europe? Bologna. I agree. Bologna. I agree. Um, and it's simply because if the going gets tough, they have a goal scorer. Yeah. They have they have many outlets to, to score goals. Torino tend to struggle to find goals. This recent emergence of Karamoch mm-hmm. is a very good one. Mm-hmm. Um, they've also experimented with Sec up front. It's not bad. Sanabria is not a bad shout, as we always discuss. But Bologna always, remember, they have Arnautovic. They've got Arnautovic coming back. They've got... Um, that Zergze guy, he's fucking yeah. pretty good. Orsolini's on the form of his life, you know? So I think um, both teams are good at shutting up shop, so I'm not worried about that. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is, can they win games? And to win games, you need to score goals, and I think Bologna are more capable of scoring goals. I think so as well, which goes to show just how good Torino's performance was in this game. It was a very, very tight affair, but to scrape out a one nil victory like that, and when the stakes are so high, only says great things about Torino and Devon Juric. They currently sit in ninth on 34 points. And just one point ahead of them in eighth is Bologna on 35, level on points with Juve. That race is red, red, red hot. Yes, it is. The next game we're going to be covering is Monza 2, Empoli 1. The previous encounter was a 1-0 victory for Empoli. So this is sweet, sweet revenge for Monza. This game featured the two youngest tacticians in Serie A going head-to-head in Paladino and Zanetti. Beautiful. Um, Empoli haven't won a game since January the 23rd and that win came against Inter. Um, (laughs) Since then, they've had a draw against Torino, a loss against Roma, a draw against Spezia, a draw against Fiorentina, a loss to Napoli and the loss to Monza. Empoli have... Mirrors got, last year, huh? It when does, exactly. Empoli they, got off to a flying a start and then they just drew, drew, drew and drew. Yeah, they love a draw, Empoli. Um, and in fact, Empoli have drawn the most Serie A games in 2023. Wow. With, with five, exactly. No side in the big European leagues has drawn more this year. Wow. Yeah, uh, this year being 2023, of course. Yeah. Empoli have conceded the most Serie A goals from corners this season, eight, while Monza have scored only once from these situations with Paolo Mari scoring against Spezia in October. Now, guess how Monza won this game? Obviously. It's a header from a corner. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> it's crazy. These stats, sometimes they come to fruition. Right? Yeah. Now, Monza lined up with a 3-4-2-1 formation with Di Gregorio and goal. Um, they're done with Cranio. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> they tried him. Didn't work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Back to Di Gregorio. Poor guy, poor guy, poor guy. Cranio is like 28 years old nowadays. Yeah. So, um, Calderola, Mari and Itzo were at the back with Carlos Augusto. Augusto out on the left, um, Berindelli on the right, Pessina and Sensi in the middle with Petania, Caprari and Shuria up front. For Empoli, it was their 4-3-1-2 formation with Perizan in goal and my brother and I, we were very confused at this guy. Yes. Perizan, who? Hey, hey and there was, there was the other game as well of Hellas Verona 
where they featured um, because Montepo was out injured. Oh, yeah. They started a gentleman. Ah, his name Pesisu? was Perilli. Ah, Perilli. Pesisu, <laughs> close enough. <laughs> yeah, Perilli. He was, he was quite good. I mean, he was, he was. A bit shaky at the start, but then he grew into yeah. it. Now, Stojanovic was out on the right. Parisi was out on the left with Luperto and Desmiley as a centre-back duo. Bandinelli, Marin and the ever-impressive Akpa Akpro were in the middle. Baldanzi was playing in the hole with Satriano and Ciccio Caputo up front. Empoli started the game off well, um, scoring a goal. However, that was ruled out for offside. And then in the 19th minute, it was Monza's turn to strike back as Caprari played a long forward ball to Petania, who flicked it on gorgeously to Churia. Uh, It was a silky little flick. Um, Churia had to take it on his left um, and he converted it expertly. Now, this was initially ruled off called off for offside but um, the referee soon was soon to find out that he was wrong and the goal stood Birindelli, Ismaili and Carlos Augusto also got close to scoring in the first half but it ended 1-0 in the second half Marin whipped the ball in Mari got ahead to it but it wasn't enough as the ball snuck through to Satriano at the far post who headed it in now the celebrations were massive for Empoli over here as they ran to their fans and the scenes were crazy as a fan gave Ciccio Caputo a beer and he took a massive gulp out of it and that's just the classic trick Chuck up with that we know and love. We didn't even score this time, and he celebrated by actually <laughs> drinking beer. So that's that's great to see. <laughs> you know, you know, Chuck Caputo has his own beer company, and he used to give people who played him on fantasy football when he scored free samples of his what? beer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you played Caputo and he scored, you would send Caputo a screenshot of your fantasy football with Caputo on the starting eleven, and he would pick people every time he scored and send them beer. I love shit like that, yeah, man. man. I love yeah. that shit. Fantastic marketing, Chicho Caputo. <laughs> Now, Marin almost scored from a direct corner. Yep. The magician <laughs> that he is. The magician. And then in the 67th minute, Monza found a winner through a Caprari corner and then it's a header. They managed to shut up shop well after that. And they took home all three points. Yes, sir. Now, brother, what did you make of this game? I mean, it was quite an even affair. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Monza just have a little bit more flair to them. To be honest, this game, you never really know how it's going to go. Empoli got the upper hand in the game before that. We know that on their day, Monza are more dangerous than Empoli. Um, they're faster than Empoli, but you can't help but love the way that Empoli play, the mm. way that they're set up, their transitions, so on and so forth. But it was that silkier football that got the victory over here, two goals to one. And and you will find that they perhaps do more outlet do have more outlets to get goals. Empoli always need to take an extra five, six, seven steps to get into a goal scoring opportunity, whilst Monza sometimes just need a simple overlap and, and a goal's a goal. So that prevailed for them. Yes. Um in fact, Monza weren't as silky as they usually are, and they haven't been. Perhaps it's because they've come off two losses now. They tend to sit back a little bit, especially against Empoli over here. Empoli had the majority of the ball mm. for for most of the game. Um, 
they they played more vertically though you're absolutely right Empoli do try these these little flick-ons these very silky moves these one-twos in the yeah. middle of the park while Monza this game were literally playing vertically let's go boom direct yeah. direct direct and it actually paid off for them so it was a good tactical setup by Palladino I mean look at their setup L- look look at how Monza are set up look how offensive <laughs> yeah. this team is Carlos Augusto left wing back Birindelli right wing back double pivot Fuck it. Sensi Pessina. <laughs> Left wing, Caprari. Right wing, Churia. Striker, Petania. Probably yeah. the most defensive <laughs> fucking yeah. player out there. There we go. And then at the back, Itzo. One of the most offensive centre backs that there, there is in Italy. He gets very, very involved. You see him running down the wing at times. This is a very, very frightening team to play against. And then you look at Empoli. They are a team that is designed to hold possession and to slow down play. Yeah. Bandinelli, Marin, Akpak, Pro, and then they have Shore, Baldanzi, and then two strikers who are fantastic with their back towards goal, Satriano and Caputo. Yeah, yeah. And they do play very neat football, Empoli, as well. Yeah. Um, it's always another shout out, by the way, for the national team. He Th- is. 31 man. years old, it might be his time. And and it's it's been years, man. It's so has been good for years. He was top at Torino. Had, yes, but then after Torino, he had a, a time where he lost himself. Uh-huh. You know? Uh-huh. He, he can be quite inconsistent in long periods. Mm-hmm. So he's either, he has like a very good season and he has a bad season. Yeah. It's never like he has a good couple of games and he has an off day here and there. He's consistently very good for Monza this year though. Yeah, he's a protagonist on this team for sure. Yeah. Um, think about what Monza can achieve in five years' time. Sky's the limit, man, I would say. Now, <laughs> now, of course, they have also had their struggles this season. But guys, this is a team that was promoted this, this year. year yeah. You know, and they're a team that it, it's their first time playing together. I mean, Petania, Caprari, Churia, Pessina, Sensi, Itzo. Di Gregorio, these guys have never played football together before. Mario on loan from Arsenal. And they've really managed to gel together. And they're using Raffaele Palladino as a manager, mm-hmm. staying true to, uh, you know, their caretaker manager who's had good performances, beat fucking Juve in his debut. And I mean, the, the sky is the limit for this team. Now, I know that they have a lot of players who are in on a loan, but I think they have the cash to trigger any of their clauses. And, Most and to keep definitely. Them in the team. And with their pedigree at the, at the moment, even if those players do go, they could loan in a fresh batch you know, of talented yeah. players and actually work with them. Palladino has proven to actually be very good at um, developing these guys. Mm-hmm. They have Rovella as well. They do, bro. Fucking hell. They're a really, really good team. Um, so yeah the sky is the limit for them well perhaps not the sky but uh, that conference league spot in the next five years <laughs> might, might represent the sky for this Monza team who currently sit in 11th with 32 points while Empoli sit in 14th with 28 points they could really use a victory Empoli in the coming days it's been a while yeah, since that Inter game yeah they really really can man the next game we're going to be covering is Sassuolo 3, Cremonese 2. Totally different to the previous encounter, which ended in a nil-nil draw. <laughs> 
we know that Cremonese were coming in in you know hot form <laughs> after beating Roma, their first win in Serie A. Um, Starman Domenico Berardi was suspended for this match for Sassuolo, but Lauriante was back from his enforced absence, whilst Ferrari was suspended for Cremonese and I was out with a tie injury. Sassuolo played their classic 4-3-3 formation with Consigli in goal. Con Consigli, apologies. Um, Rogerio, Ruan, Erlich and Zortea formed the back four with Henrique, Lopez and Frattesi forming the midfield three and Lauriante, Pinamonti and Defrel all playing in the attacking third. For Cremonese, it was the 3-4-1 formation with Carnesecchi in goal and the back line of Kirikes, Bianchetti and Vasquez. They had Senecola out on the right and Valeri out on the left with Piquel and Benassi in the middle. Afena John was the right winger, Okereke left winger and Saju, your boy, Saju, up front. Hit the post, eh? Yes, sir. In the 25th minute, Lauriante netted a free kick from just outside the area as he managed to get the ball over the wall with great power. Karnaseki will be disappointed that he couldn't keep the shot out as it was a very central strike. However, it was hit with a lot of power and he didn't see it coming over the wall. So, I don't know, still should be doing better, but brilliant strike by Lauriante nonetheless. In the 41st minute, Lauriante intercepted a weak pass in a dangerous area and carried the ball forward. After a few coming together with defenders and an interchange with Lopez, Lauriante backheeled the ball to Frattesi, who finished on the turn. That's already a goal and a contribution um, uh, by Lauriante. In the 62nd minute, Cremonese's long balls forward finally paid off when Ehrlich's attempted clearance fell perfectly to substitute Dessers, who finished past the oncoming Consiglie. That was terrible defending by Ehrlich. The ball was coming right at him and he headed it literally direct to Dessers, who had no problem finishing over there. To one. In the 71st minute, Maxime Lopez produced a goal line clearance avoiding Cremonese's equalizer, as Cremonese were really piling men forward over here. And then the 82nd minute, Carnesecchi's hoofed ball forward landed to Dessers, who rounded Consigli before finishing from a tight angle. Once again, the defense of Sassuolo, way too shaky. It wasn't one person's error this time, but just shaky defending all around. Yeah. And then, in the 91st minute, Lauriente provided a perfect cross with the outstep of his right foot, which was volleyed in first time by Bayrami for a fantastic goal for his new team, getting them a victory, a very hard-earned victory over Cremonese over here as he's replacing their key man. A very, very, not even a fair, but Sassuolo started the game off brilliantly. Cremonese came out in the second half brilliantly, and then Sassuolo managed to prevail and their experience allowed them to get that goal in the 91st minute. But you look at the stats, 54-46 possession in favor of Sassuolo. 13 shots to 13, 7 on target for Sassuolo, 6 on target <laughs> for crazy. Cremonese. This was one hell of a game of football. I was very disappointed not to see Cremonese get the point, but fuck it, Sassuolo continue their very very highly improved streak brother i'm gonna start off i cannot stress how impressive this armand lauriante is much better than raspadori and traore who they lost and they thought it was detrimental yeah, that yeah, they lost yeah. them but they really found a solid ass fucking replacement and upgrade over here i'm gonna go so far as to say here we go here we go should leo not extend his contract at <laughs> milan the, who? Noah Lang? Who? St. Maximan? No, man. You Look go for, at you this go for guy. Messi, dude. Look, <laughs> what? 
obviously you go for Messi or you get Chiesa man. Come on. <laughs> bro stop it Lower <laughs> speak to those guys yeah of course I worked in catering for so long with these fucking casuals the the Meladoc player Messias <laughs> yeah, oh, bro, bro. international yeah. audience oh yeah right Messias here. is not a good player man you have to buy Chiesa <laughs> <laughs> this guy is gonna fund it like <laughs> do you not think at all you fucking imbecile no Leao if he doesn't extend his contract at Milan I would not mind Lauriante being discussed as sure but after this season Lauriante is not gonna go for a cheap he's 24 years old he looks like a baller you know when, when you look at the league's top three wingers at the moment you're gonna see okay so it's Gvaratskelia this season probably takes the cake as number one debatable um, controversial um, Leo would no, be, I, would be second right um, perhaps I mean people have he different opinions on the matter um, so it's Gvaratskelia and Leo first or second give or take um, and then you have Who's who's in the in that third slot? So if you're looking at purely wingers, so you're not taking Costage, for example, yeah. into consideration, it'd be Lauriente. Absolutely. Yes, for sure. I mean, I, I struggle to think of. I mean, then you have the likes of, for example, okay, left wingers. I mean um, the ball plays out on the left no. sometimes, but not Pedro really. sometimes again on the left. But again, these guys no, are the statements. La, right? Lauriente. For sure. Yes, when it comes three. to sheer technical ability, goal contributions, Lorient is up there, man. He's having a fantastic first season in Italy. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine this guy next season? And, and it's not only because he got a goal and two assists in this game, because by the way, he got a goal and two assists, and each one, the, the goal was super. His goal was great. Yeah. I mean, free kick, he, he can do that as well, apparently. Um, he backheeled the ball to Frattesi for Frattesi to get the second. And then that assist to by Rami just whenever I see these travelas or whatever the hell they call them with the outstep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Beautiful assist. Really put it not on a plate. I mean, see it have massive by Rami balls to hit that in on a volley first time and execute yeah. it the way he did. But Wow, really, really great performance by Lauriante. He's Lauriante's. hit 10 goal contributions in 18 games this season with five goals and five assists. With a team that was struggling so much at the beginning of the season, for most of the season. Yeah, a team that was a potential relegation candidate. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Now, the fact that Sassuolo got all three points in this game shows how far they've come this season. Mm-hmm. Cremonese just got their first win against Roma and the momentum was fully in their favour after Dessers got the equaliser, but they were capable of keeping their cool and they managed to get all three points. Now, that comes with experience. It's not just a run of form. Sassuolo, for, for them to be able to concede two goals, be 2-2 against Cremonese and not crumble, yeah. takes a lot, man. It really does. It really does. Um, to get that last minute winner, that was that was quite impressive. Yeah. Um, you look at the fact that Sassuolo have thirty points and and Juve in seventh of thirty five. Bro, like they, Bro. they have an objective they can actually Bro. aim for. It's quite crazy. It's quite crazy. What a league! What a league! What a I league! I mean, what a league! It's because it, it feels like <laughs> these guys <laughs> have been slipping up since the beginning of the season. Yeah, I mean, anyone can get relegated this yeah, season. Exactly. You know, anyone you can get Champions League. The bottom like. three in the league: you have Empoli, Udinese, and Juventus. They have <laughs> Bro, Sassuolo are still terrible defensively, though. No, of course that they are so, still terrible defensively. Incredibly um, error prone, both as a unit and then their individuals. Like they're yeah. just not set up to keep clean sheets. And Consigli, 
hasn't been at 100%. There's nothing could have done in this game, but he hasn't been at 100%. And they're incredibly leaky, man. In yes, that, in that if I were Sassuolo, I'd take a punt on um, Cranio. I'd try to bring in Cranio Ooh. and rejuvenate his career. Um, when it comes to the centre-backs, literally any of the teams that get relegated take their centre-back. Anyone, yep. Any of them are better than your guys. That's true. I mean... Uh, you, Tresoldi or one of his name is is nothing special. Ehrlich seems to make a mistake every game. Ferrari's past it. Um, yeah, they, they do need new centre backs as well. Yeah. Absolutely, man. Um Karnesecki. So hmm. here's the thing. Mm-hmm. Young goalkeeper. 22 years old. 22 years old. Up and comer. He is gonna be a star. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. This is his first experience in Serie A with fucking Cremonese who concedes so many shots two of these goals in this game brother Laurientes free kick quite central and Bayrami's volley could have done better yes. and it's not the first time we said ah he should have got that at his near post but he's young mm-hmm. should have saved that it was right at him but he's young should have saved that but took a bit of a deflection but he's still young now Again, his ceiling is very high, but should Cremonese experiment a little bit with Radu, who was having good performances for them, barring that one mistake, or should they keep Carnesecchi on the pitch for as long as they can to maintain that young Italian talent? That's a that's a good question. Um, Carnesecchi, I believe, is not owned by Cremonese. He's on loan from Atalanta. From Atalanta, exactly. Yeah. So... The fact of the matter is that Karnasecki is a good shot stopper overall. Now, the fact is when you play a 22-year-old over the stretch of a full season, you are going to see mistakes. It could be the hottest talent, it could be a generational talent. You look at Donnarumma, for example. No, Donnarumma was an incredible shot stopper for Milan and he did make mistakes that actually lost them games. Um, Karnasecki is going to face many shots in games and he is going to make mistakes at the moment. Is Radu error prone as well? Yes, Absolutely. he is. So you might as well just play the better shot stopper. No, mm, I <laughs> in, guess. in I don't know. I, I I don't see him as that bad. This was probably his worst performance of the season so far. And it's funny because it's the game that he actually got an assist in. Yeah, <laughs> so, so he actually contributed to a goal, which is very unlike a goalkeeper to do. But um, of course, it it was not enough to actually call this performance a good one. Yeah. And and I think as well, like you, you can't really have rotating goalkeepers because you're playing with both their confidence look you're both not yeah. good enough to start you're all, you're both kind of ass sometimes but you're both kind of good sometimes um so yeah i'm just gonna rotate you that doesn't really work does it not really not really bro so yeah i think i, I still think that karnaseki has a very bright future ahead of him just had a bit of a bad performance criminals are full of fight but yes. you can tell that it is nothing more than a good spell really, as they lack quality and experience all round, to be quite honest. And this is evident when you look at this match and the Torino match, where they get themselves in a good position and are unable to maintain it. The Roma game was a bit of an exception, where they got that late penalty and they converted it and they have a history against Roma. Um, But yeah, Cremonese leave a lot to be desired. 
And I would say they lacked experience coming into this mostly because now you look at a few of these guys, they're, they're natural leaders. You look at Vlad Kirikas at 33 years old. You look at Benassi at 28 years old. You look at Bianchetti at 29 years old. Um, and even the rest, they're not that young. Like Okereke, 25, Valeri, 24, and Vasquez, 24. So these guys actually have developed their team as the season went has gone by to... Um, to be more of an experienced, say, uh, unit. But I feel like at this point, it's 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 a bit too late for them. <laughs> yeah, they, they are very improved. And that's what sucks because I said that the Torino match and, and this match showed it, but they are finally getting in those situations where they find themselves in good positions in a game, something that they couldn't dream of yeah. in the past. And they're playing better, but they're just not good enough, in my opinion. So if... Cremones win the Coppa Italia and gets relegated. Will there be a Serie B team in Europe? Is that how it works? Is there someone you can call to give us this fucking information, man? <laughs> yes. Yes is the answer. Yes, right. Yes. Um... I mean, that's th- those are the rules. So I don't think they should be bent for anything. Yeah. Really. That would be mental. Um, I'm going to confirm that, by the way, and, and um, in the next episode, I'll, I'll see if that will happen or not. You'll forget for sure. Probably. Sampdoria, nil, Salernitana, nil. The previous encounter was a Salernitana 4 nil stomping. Weird. Nicola didn't get a promotion that day. <laughs> <laughs> now, Sampdoria haven't drawn any of their seven league games against Salernitana. They have been three victories for Sampdoria and four losses. Um, crazy. So this was the first draw yeah. that they had. Uh, you look at these stats, sometimes they either prove to be completely consistent or they prove to be record-breaking. Salernitana have won each of their last two games against Sampdoria and Serie A before this game. They never won three on the bounce against a specific opponent in the top <laughs> flight before. So they had their opportunity over here to make it three against the team, but they did not manage, of course, as it was nil-nil. Yes. Now listen to this very interesting stat, bro, before we get into the, the game. Salernitana averaged the most touches in the opposition's box in Serie A this season. Salernitana. Salernitana. Very That's probably Piontek just not shooting. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, and speaking of, Piontek is the player who has attempted the most shots in Serie A in 2023 without scoring so far. Not shooting my ass then. Yeah. He had scored three goals with his previous 17 shots in the competition. So things are not going his way, Piontek, who's playing well off the ball, but is, has been very wasteful as of late. Yeah, I guess. Now, <clears throat> we saw a bit of a different summer Doria side this time without their own goal. Amione, Nuitink and Zanoli were at the back without Giallo on the left, Leri on the right and Rincon and Harry Wanks in the middle. Um, Sabiri and Cuisance were playing behind Jesse. Are we calling him Jesse? No, Hesse. I don't want to call him Hesse personally. Why, why Hesse? No, what's the matter, Hesse? What's the matter, Hesse? Why Hesse? Well, what's the matter? Cholo, you want to go? <laughs> huh? Oh, oh, I want to go. <laughs> Okay, Jesse Rodriguez, yes. Jesse Rodriguez played up front. We spoke about Jesse Rodriguez potentially changing Sampdoria's season. Um, He looked lively, but he does not quite look... He doesn't look quite fit yet. Just another nanny. 
He always just another nani. So Ochoa was in goal for Salernitana with Danilo Lich, Gyomber and Pirola at the back. Sambia was on the right and Bradaric on the left with Kulibali and Chernigo in the middle. Kastanos and Kandreva playing off the shoulders of Piontek. Boom, boom. Yes. Um, this game was a nil-nil. Of course, we saw um, a couple of interesting opportunities. Cuisance getting close to scoring. One of his shots was fucking two, incredible. Two from attempts, from. man. The two really, attempts were brilliant. I'm really impressed by Cuisance. He really seems to have upped his game from his Venezia days. And I do think that he's a very hot talent nowadays. I'm, I wonder, is he owned... By Bayern Munich still No He was bought no, by he Venezia he was bought by Venezia For like three point something million I believe in fact It was a big deal Because um, <clears throat> They spent money Venezia spent money And he was only a bit cheaper Than they had spent on On yeah. Henri He's still Yeah he's still owned by Venezia In fact So that's an interesting player Who will definitely be up for grabs Considering Venezia's situation in Sayaba Where yeah. they don't seem to <laughs> Be getting promoted anytime soon um, He's a player who has featured For the France national team All the way from under 16 to under 20 He's a player who has had appearances For Bayern Munich and Marseille He is a player who obviously has a lot of talent You look Nifty at his, footwork man. Nifty, very, nifty very, footwork Very very nifty and you look at the likes of Sabiri Cuisance Hesse that doesn't look that bad that doesn't look that bad at all yep. so Sampdoria who do leave a lot to be desired at times actually don't look too bad on paper at the moment and even in game can actually do some things um, Ochoa once again a wall saving yep. many opportunities at one point um, earlier on in the game Castanos released um, Kandreva with a brilliant through ball brilliant mm. through ball and and Kandreva decided to cut in on his left yes. foot instead of just shooting with his right uh-huh. and I was quite he displayed a lack of confidence which isn't something I'd ever thought I'd see with Kandreva who's always looked so confident when it came to his shooting ability um, but watching him cut onto his left and just giving out there a time to recover and to actually come out and block the shot was quite sad yeah, it, was, it was very beta yeah <laughs> Yes, um, Leri, Augello and Zanoli all tried their luck for for um, to score, but it was all in vain for Sampdoria. Yes, that's what I was trying to say. Um, Sambia once again delivered a very good free kick. It was saved well by Ochoa. And Brother Rich tried to capitalize on a Samper at the end of the game, but failed. Mm-hmm. So yes, bro, um, I don't know if there is anything you'd want to add from this. It seemed to be a lower tier dogfight, which was hard fought, but with no fruition. You look at the possession stats, Sampdoria dominated for the most part. Um, when it comes to shots, he had 9 to 10, but no one really deserved to win this, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I would agree. I'm still scratching my head over why Dia hasn't been starting. I know that he mm. is or was recovering from an injury. I think he's fine, bro. He's Sousa. fine now. Um, I think he's fine, dude. I think you can bring him on. Like I don't know what the hell he's doing, Susa, man. Well, why the hell wouldn't you play Dia? He brought him on uh, at one point, yes, for sure. But this guy was one of the protagonists of the Sampdoria team this season. It's the Salernitana team this season. Yeah, so. no, ab- absolutely, man. Absolutely. He's their best player. Yeah. So they're their most dangerous player and he should be being utilized. Um, on the other hand, Sampdoria, another failed opportunity for them to get three points. Yeah. Are they gonna fucking get three points under Stankovic because they, they leave so much to be desired? 
I'm going to go out and say that they're not going to get three <laughs> points under Stankovic so that they get three points in that the means, next game. That means next game they're winning, dude. I'm, I'm just saying this to, to, for them to get a victory. No, yeah. they they are more likely to to actually get a victory. Yeah. But man, they they they're just not a team. They're not mu- they're not much of a unit. You know yeah. what I mean? Now, obviously, their their performances have gotten better, but a unit capitalizes on a game like this, a relegation dogfight against Salernitana, where Salernitana, it's not their best performance on paper. They need to be more dangerous. They had a a couple of attempts through Cuisance, Mm -hmm. who turned wine out of water in this this game. I mean, that long-range shot from the right-hand side, Mm -hmm. the curling one, just over. And then at a point, someone hit the post that landed to Cuisance and he had some really nifty footwork. No, sorry. No, it was there was offside. a save. Yes, yes. Then Cuisance got the ball, did some nifty dribbling and then he hit the yeah, post. Exactly. Um, it was all offside. So yeah, Yeah, but they, they can't rely on bringing in Jesse Rodriguez. They can't rely on Sabiri. They can't rely on bringing in Cuisance. They, they, to me, Sampdoria are, are a failed system. This year. Yes, and they've been going downhill now when you look at um there, there's an expression in Maltese, I'm not sure if it translates in English. Uh, it's uh, the fish rots from the head down. Which is very true because you look at Sampdoria's problems, they stemmed from the top. Now with Ferrero, mm. who actually attended this game, by the way, the former president who declared bankruptcy, the former Sampdoria president. He's still, I believe, the Sampdoria president. Mm. Um he was also charged as a criminal. I think at the time where he, you don't, you never know how it is with these guys. But he received a severed pig's head as a as a death threat to his door, and his reaction to that so was to show him. up to show up to the game. Veramente, he's a beast. He's a beast. <laughs> he's a beast. He's a fucking yeah. crook. Man. So, by the way, we we're talking about Cremonese before um, potentially winning the Coppa and mm. getting relegated and playing in Europe. Apparently it happened in England once in 2013, 2014. Um, Wigan won the FA Cup. Yes, they won the FA Cup. And they therefore they got relegated and they played in the Europa League for the That's first time. That's fucking wild, yeah. bro. So can we see that happen with Cremonese? Uh, Wigan won dress. <laughs> Come on, dude. I really want that to happen. Same, same. Rooting for Cremonese. Come on, Cremonese. So yes, I'm going to conclude this game. There isn't much to say. Uh, Sampdoria sit dead last with 12 points as Salernitana are in 16th with 25 points. The next and final game we're going to be covering was another nil-nil relegation dogfight. This time it was between Spezia and Verona. The previous encounter was an away victory for Spezia with the score of 2-1. to now, Simone Bastoni, Emil Holm, João Moutinho and Zoet all missed out, while Verona were without Miguel Veloso, Aiden Hrustic, Milan Juric, Cech Carini, and Thomas Henry. They also lost goalkeeper Lorenzo Montepo at the last minute due to flu symptoms, so Simone Pirelli made his Serie A debut. Now Spezia lined up in their 4-3-3 formation with Drangovski in goal and the backline of Reka, Nicolau, Ampadu and Amian. They had Agudelo, Ekdal and Burabia in the midfield with Giasi, Inzola and Verde in the final third. On the other hand, Verona played a 3-4-1-2 formation with Perilli in goal and the backline of Magnani, Hien and Coppola. Davidovic probably is fucking dying like. Yeah. 
Faroni out on the right, De Pauli out on the left with Tamez and Duda in the middle. Lazovic played in the attacking midfield role with Cyril Ngonj and Gaich up front. Cyril Ngonj! Oh, I forgot to whip out the soundboard for this You episode. did forget. No problem, I haven't updated it. For the next episode, I'll hit you up with a few new ones. Amazing. So there was another early blow for Hellas Verona as Cyril Ngonj went off with a sprained ankle after just 9 minutes and he was replaced by Yaya Kalon. In the 68th minute, Yaya Kalon used his pace very well to find himself clean through on goal, but Drangovski made himself big and denied him a rare goal. In the 73rd, Nzola hit the post with a header and Giassi had penalty appeals waved away as he just lost his balance when battling with Perilli and Heen for a loose ball after a deflected shot, but it was enough to get Spezia goalkeeper Federico Marchetti sent off for a descent from the bench. <laughs> I mean, the guy just screams descent, Dave, eh, yeah. with his comments. and He thought he was on Blessing's Instagram over there. Yeah. <laughs> <Literally>. <laughs> In the 88th minute, Amiens Kerder looked destined for the top corner, but debutante Perilli produced a magical stop to keep the sides level at 0-0. Spezia dominated possession with 69% to Verona's 31. They had 20 total shots, only four of which were on target. I mean, as opposed to Verona's 11 shots, three on target, I mean... Spezia did look like the team that were going to get something out of this, no bro? Yeah, man, they had the most opportunities this match day. Perilli came in and had to deal with a couple of shots over there. He made, I believe, four saves. Um, four decent saves as well at that. And Zola went mental this game, just shooting, trying yeah. to get the goals in. But, but yes, man, and... It wasn't actually Nzala who shot the most. Nzala hit the post, but you look at most of the shots, they came from the right side, actually, with Verde, Burabia, mm. and Amian. They were all having it. And even Jazzy, I believe, had three. Yeah. So it was a, a dogfight at the bottom once again. Spezia have been quite impressive with Semplici, the way they've um, turned their style around to become more of an, an offensive team, a team that yeah. actually creates opportunities. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. It's, it's crazy how in, every manager has a different position for Kevin Agudelo. Yeah. <laughs> It's true. It's true. You know, when someone doesn't see anything with you, yeah. just think of yourself as Kevin Agudelo, bro. But at the same time, they see everything in him. That's that's what I'm saying, brother. That's yeah. what I'm saying. No. As in, it's the metaphor of it. No, sorry, I didn't get it. Perhaps I'm too... You're not romantic. I'm too enough, dumb, man. I'm just dumb. <laughs> Are you surprised at all by the nil-nil result in the build-up to the game and because of the actual game itself? In these games, sides tend to take a more cautious approach and what surprised me is the manner of the nil-nil. I didn't expect Spezia to come out guns blazing like yeah. this. Um, and it to end in a draw, you know, when you look at the amount of chances there were. Especially when you look at it, it's a direct encounter between 17th and 18th. Um, a draw would be a... A good, a good bet to make in a game like this, I think. Both sides, for, for opposite reasons as to why this happened. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think Spezia came out wanting to, I think both teams wanted to obviously either catch up to the other or get a six-point gap between, but... Mm. I think Verona were more open to the idea of a draw coming into it and, and, and saying, look, we'll live to fight another day. But if we increase the gap from 17 to 18 to six points, mm -hmm. then, you know, we're in serious danger. Yeah. I think like this, Verona live to fight another day. They do. Spezia are still in danger. Um, 
you know, even with Salernitana Sampdoria drawing nil-nil and Cremonese losing, nothing has changed in that department. True, so there, there's still the opportunity for Spezia to get relegated, for Salernitana to get relegated, for Verona to survive or for Verona to get relegated. But yeah, Spezia really came out looking for that victory though. And I think they scared off Verona a little bit and they decided, okay, let's sit back and make sure that we don't yeah, fucking yeah. lose this Especially game. with the early exit of Cyril and Gange, they were like, fuck it, we're probably not going to get... We're probably not going to score yeah. <laughs> here. Even though they brought on Calon, who isn't bad. Yeah, yeah, Calon. He's yeah. fucking rapid, man. He is. Yeah, yeah, he's Calon. really fast. And by the way, Alfonso Gaich, uh, again, good player. Good player. Nowadays, 24 years old. I did think he was a bit younger, mm. um, but has a, a good a good future ahead of him. Absolutely. Perilli really came in clutch for Verona in the final moments of the match. A great save. He'll be proud of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, sure. I mean... Another relegation, dogfight, a bunch of chances. But yeah, the nil-nil result means that everything is as it was. Spezia on 21 points in 17th place. Verona on 18 points in 18th place. Averaging a point a game now. Quick match because I'm a genius. There we go, bro. There we go. Done and dusted. Done and dusted, Another episode. So while we were recording this, Lazio lost their um, Europa League game to AZ, AZ Alkmaar. Alkmaar. Um the former Milan player uh, Kirikez not Kirikez sorry Kirikez Kirikez scored he was a he's a left back yeah. um, he was a Primavera player for Milan um, he celebrated doing the Theo phone call celebration okay yeah so <laughs> maybe he's, a, he's his idol over there um, do you think that Milan and Inter will go through to the next round. So Milan, they both have the one nil advantage, no? Yes. <sighs> Remind me, bro, who are Inter against? Porto. Porto. Come on, bro. Porto uh, got a red card in their game. It was, uh, what's his name? A good player for them. Fuck. Can't remember you know, I don't think they go through, man. Uh, Otavio. I, I don't think. I think Inter can get a draw. I think Milan are going to struggle a bit against Spurs. I think Inter go through and Milan's debatable. The best Milan could do is try their best to keep a clean sheet. I think Milan will go very defensive in that game. 3-4-3, black three. Just fucking Tonali and, and Ben Nasser. I see him starting here. I see him starting here in the Champions League like he did in the first leg. Um, A bit of rotation as well, yeah. maybe. Look, for me, I can't see Milan keeping a clean sheet. But the way that Milan play in the Champions League, the, the way they're so inspired over there, I think Milan will go and get a draw and go through to the next round. I'm going to be optimistic over here. And I'm um, going to be pessimistic and say that Milan lose... 2-0 and both <laughs> goals come from set pieces or corners oh good because Spurs bro are good from they set are good, pieces they are good, but from set pieces yeah, they're great yeah, yeah. and Milan are bad from set pieces Inter I think will also get the job done against Porto maybe a draw and Porto away from home are no easy feat um, they have Otavio off was a big loss for them and I, I think Inter will actually go through to the next round too perhaps that's too optimistic to have two Milan, Milan sides in the in the quarterfinals <laughs> yeah maybe maybe um, 
tune into our Instagram, guys. We'll be posting a bit of content of us watching. Um, yeah. <clears throat> Milan Spurs. As you know, we are Milan fans, so that's the game we're going to be watching and reacting to. We will have the other games on, on our laptop with the fellow Italian teams just to keep tabs over there. But I had tune in, engage with us. We'll even obviously have a chat and, and we can stay talking and stuff. Um, <laughs> but yeah, talking football, obviously. I mean, if you guys want to get personal. You up. Like you up, you know, and you want to talk about something on your mind. We're here. We're your friends. You know what I mean? If you don't mm -hmm. think you have someone to listen to you. Holler at Serie Spotlight. There we go. We'll talk. Then you and here. We always reply. Always. always. Ask, ask anyone who's ever messaged us. We always reply. Yeah, send us a message. Send us a message and you'll see if we reply. We'll reply. Like. We'll reply. Absolutely. 100%. <laughs> Love you all, guys. Don't forget to rate our podcast wherever you're listening. Send us voice notes if you want to feature on our podcast. And just follow us. TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. We've been Seria Spotlight. Thank you for tuning in and we love you all. Thank you. Good night.